Hello and welcome to the Andyplex. This is episode 12, Starship Troopers, or making a space podcast radio play. Today I have for the first time two alumni of the show. We have Ryan Grassmeyer from episode 2, Judgment Days, where we had a nice hearty chat about the apocalypse as we were on the doorstep of our own apocalypse here in yeah. March of 2020 and talked about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. A couple episodes later, we have Nick Chandler, who was in the We're Gonna Need a Bigger Jaws podcast episode where we discussed Jaws. And uh, it's still the big hot button issue, safety versus the economy. And Jaws was the perfect allegory for that. And we're still struggling with that here as we uh, close out September 2020. Today is the final day of September, the 30th, and uh, it's still very much Judgment Day and Jaws. <laughs> so, uh, well, so good to have you guys. Well, thanks, Andy. Hey, it's great to be back. Yeah, thank you. How's everyone doing? You guys surviving? You surviving the hellscape that is 2020? <laughs> surviving and thriving, I think, as well as we can, it, you know, here in L.A., it it was very smoky last week with all the fires, but now we can breathe outside, so I'm taking that as an absolute win. Still can't go outside, but you can breathe the outside air if you have to go out there, but you still can't go out there. Don't go out there. Just trying to focus on the positive here. It's been a hell of a year, and um, this show has been such a nice thing to kind of fall back into and to uh, cocoon myself in movies and media right. and, uh, and focus on the classics of yesteryear. And today we will be revisiting the 1997 Paul Verhoeven. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it masterpiece. Uh, <laughs> re- just rewatched it again Agreed. for the first time in a long You're not time. Wrong. And it's uh, amazing. Starship Troopers, and uh, it couldn't be kind of more pertinent now with um, some of the rise of fascism we're seeing in our own <laughs> lovely country here that I still love very much and very very deeply love. But uh, we're looking at a kind of political satire of military, the military complex, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I uh, can't wait to take a deep dive into that soon. But first things first, you two men have created something incredible, a space podcast radio play called Last Best Hope, which season one is now available on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And I'm probably missing one and, and, uh, or two. And uh, Stereophone. It's in Stereophone. stereophone. <laughs> yeah, where, wherever mm-hmm. fine podcasts are downloaded. We're here to plug it. We're going to plug <laughs> it real hard. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's always interesting and great talking with you, Andy, about movies and creating um, content because you're such a... You're such a content head and movie aficionado, and I think you really uh, get it. And I think one thing that I mentioned last time, which I'm just going to double down on here, is that, you know, super nerds like Andy and Ryan and myself um, can go one of two ways, and you can just sort of become lost in the fandom, or you can eat so much of it that you just start also exuding it. (laughs) yes yeah and i think we're definitely all getting to that point where it's like you know 
at first you're like just watching stuff and trying to understand what style is and what tone is and after a while you you really start picking out oh th well, this is what i like and this is why and wow this is so great how they're doing it and you know i think with all art forms at first you sort of mimic like a like a um you know, a musician will learn cover songs or whatever before they start really writing their own material. And um, for a while, we were sort of like mimicking what we really like. And now we're starting to find our own voice or, or really, you know, having found our, our voice a couple of years ago, really leaning into it and, and finding, you know, what there is to to find there which is really like a lotus flower or whatever a treasure chest that just keeps opening and and getting deeper and so uh, i know that andy understands all that and so i'm always i always enjoy um talking to him about creating it's, thank you so much it's been a fun nick. process uh nick chandler and i have known each other for the better parts of uh 30 years now so um you know we, we grew up uh you know uh, scraping knees on the playground together and then it evolved into um, sort of our nerddom um, playing Tomb Raider uh, and, and, and PlayStation games and stuff like that, jamming Jolt Cola into our mouths <laughs> and staying up all night being idiots playing video games. And, uh, and we, we bonded through all that. And it was really funny. We sort of went our own separate ways throughout college. And I went and did some acting stuff. He went and did English and writing and all those things. And, um, and we went to super sides of the, sort of the country. Managed to run into each other at a Halloween party uh, a decade ago. Uh, that was a mutual friend of ours who I went to uh, um, high school with, who's also um, one of our cast members in Last Best Hope, along with you, Andy, um, Patty Connor. And Patty Connor um, sort of bridged this gap. He lived with me for a while, and we all sort of, uh, you know, re rekindled this fun old flame, which I think was really, really important uh, to uh, both of our creative processes because we were sort of sitting in a place where we were trying to figure out what we were doing with ourselves in Los Angeles, you know, like, what do you do? What's the next step? And I remember having a meeting and we sort of decided to go towards a route of developing television and doing things that were unscripted because that's sort of where everything was going. And it evolved naturally into this really fun process of us just getting together a couple times a week and jamming out. And Last Best Hope was actually, was born out of like uh, Nick bringing over a fun instrument one day that's like a weird synthesizer for old people, uh, the Yamaha. And what's it called? This is a, uh, it's, it's actually uh, a, a Suzuki, um, oh, Q1 chord. Um, if you want to look those up they're they're neat. I think that flaming lips uses them and it's, they're really, they make like really cheesy, bad elevator music. <laughs> so when I got it, I was like, yeah, this is going to be so cool. And then it just sort of plays like the lamest <laughs> music you've ever heard. And I was like, what am I ever going to do with this? But it turns out it's really great for comedy. <laughs> it's like elevator music. Comedy soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's great. good for inspiring comedy um, <laughs> sci-fi television shows. So we highly recommend getting an instrument screwing around. It's kind of what Pink Floyd did, you know, this is how their process started. But, and, and, and it turned into like, you know, we, we, there's a beat on there that sort of sounded like some generic movie phone thing. And Nick just started improving like, hi, welcome to movie phone. Guy. <laughs> and it turned, welcome to the Earth Mars system. And it turned into the seed planted in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a tiny, tiny bit of soil in a very, very vast universe that has grown into something very bigger than we ever thought it would. So it's been a fun pro process to see the little tiny seed grow of just him screwing around and be like making a fake movie phone for like earth being destroyed <laughs> like the, uh, the the giant beetle beast i think he just came up with that out of out of the blue and then and then it became the central core plot of our of our series was 
sort of the baddies are these giant POVs. And so it's funny because a lot of our, we've realized that throughout our process, a lot of it comes out of jokes. A lot of the, the best things comes out of a joke that we've made that we're sort of just like, wait, no, that's actually a pretty great idea. Let's let's go on that. And then you go a little bit deeper. Okay, we actually have the original clip that sparked off Last Best Hope, and here it is, Nick as the planetary answering machine. Hi, and thanks for visiting the Earth-Mars system. If you're hearing this message, we're either away from the planet or completely extinct. If you're here to attempt a rescue mission, press 1. If you're here to battle against the giant beetle beasts, press two. If you're here to pillage our natural and artificial resources, press three. If you're attempting to call Movie Phone, Sirius the Dog Star, or the Pleiades, press four. If you've traveled from the past to find all your friends and loved ones dead, press five. If you're an omnipotent being who doesn't care about any of this, simply dissolve back into your transparent dimension. Thanks for visiting the Earth-Mars system. Oh man, what a treat to hear the actual kernel that created this whole thing. Uh, Do you guys want to give a quick pitch of what the show is, just for the lay people? Ryan, can you give me the... the 22 second elevator pitch. Uh, yes, uh, Last Best Hope is about uh, is a hapless crew that is stuck in time and space. The crew of the USS Bittersweet Symphony trying to make their way back to Earth to save it from the apocalypse of a of a uh, swarm of giant beetle beasts, the scourge that has taken over oh, the galaxy. That, I mean, that was great. We should time it. We should each try and do the fastest pitch that we can. Um. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lost in space, Beetle Beast, go! I mean, <laughs> it's a radio play. It takes after, like, The Shadow or um, Green Hornet. War of the Worlds. Uh, War of the Worlds. Yeah, so it's sort of, it, it lives right. in that, like, golden age of radio, um, pre- and post-war um, sort of Americana stuff. But we satirize all of that, and it's um, it's a lot of fun. It's a sci-fi comedy radio play. Um, stars Cooper Barnes and Liz Stewart and Ryan Grassmeyer and um, yeah it right now we've just come out with our first season and um, we like it six episodes yeah right? six episode first swath at it and um, I learned so much doing it it was great I think they you know I think they're all great obviously but I do think they get a little bit better as as they go on sort of like any show we we grew the beard as right. um, as is sometimes talked about in Star Trek Next Generation when Riker grows his beard in season two and they sort Riker. of figure out what the hell it is. Yeah, um. uh-huh. that's when it really comes into its uh, its own. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I literally grew the beard. That was cool. <laughs> yeah, um, well, that's so cool. So you guys grew up together in Colorado, right? It was. Um... So you said you guys knew each other since we did. We met in third grade at Heatherwood Elementary School, and um, fast friends on the dodgeball (laughs) court, and uh, yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. We both had the same dodging skills, which was mediocre, (laughs) and uh, we we bonded through our mediocrity on dodgeball. But it's like (laughs) sort of a Stranger Things, a Stranger Things type origin story where we got to like cut our teeth doing nerdy things that, uh, you know, pre-internet and stuff like that, that were much more 
fun and, and imaginative yeah and things like what a that. trip so to it, think it, that it was, we are like, like, like the really last fun, generation uh, sort of that grew story. up without the internet or a google map or wow. I know. yeah that's wild huh I know we had to like look at a map and like plan out a trip. <laughs> I got like, lost. Oh shit, we're lost. We have to ask someone <laughs> for directions. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, Mister. You got directions? Use Google Maps. What the fuck is Google Maps? Did that just start to? Um, you know the day. Like I remember the first text message I got in college, and I was like, "What the hell is this? What is this word message someone sent me?" It makes me seem so old, but I had a pager until I was a senior in high school, so choice that's hilarious so you guys were friends playing dodgeball you guys both got knocked out in dodgeball and you're on the side just ch- chatting and then uh at what point did you start kind of like realizing that you had kind of a same similar creative right isn't that funny you know impulse i guess I mean, we were children back then we had no idea i mean we we knew we had the same taste when like you know we were playing tomb raider or whatever as kids but uh mm-hmm. i remember we like is it what is the statue of limitations? Can I talk about crimes that we've done? I <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, it's so right. Far. That's like thirty. I think years it's ago. like seven. Yeah, yeah. We got bigger fish to fry now. Like Trump's <laughs> we, taxes. We blew and... up someone's <laughs> mailbox uh, with some stump remover. Yeah, and that we did. Too was that. a really codifying bonding experience for us. <laughs> Listen, we so the, the, the very beginning of the internet was just like was like Netscape that had nothing. There wasn't Google, and it was like. Jolly Rogers Anarchist Cookbook, yeah. and you could download it at school <laughs> and just learn how to we make did. explosives. We were eight years old. <laughs> we were we're like eleven making explosives. Man, you guys uh, took to the internet very quickly and very efficiently. I mean, it just shows like how far we've come because, like, you know, and that's and this is Colorado too, which is like all, already the sensitive, you know. But yeah, subject. I mean, what's fascinating right. about anywho, our story, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan, is that we were best friends as children and then like didn't see each other for a decade and a half i i moved to california i was an <laughs> adolescent actor and I, I ended up uh getting a writing degree and doing all this stuff and, and you ended up going off to college and getting an, an actor's degree but we did all of that you know since i guess early high school like sophomore freshman year of high school yeah. through we didn't talk college. at all we didn't we didn't like send our letters. formative years there wasn't were facebook spent away from each other yeah. And then when we just randomly ran into each other again, we were like, oh, yeah, this guy. We blew up that mailbox. (laughs) (laughs) And then you were right back into it. Immediately back into it. You want to go out and blow up some mailboxes together? (laughs) Let's go hang out. We'll blow up a mailbox. Didn't skip a beat. No, that's great. We didn't. We we spent most of the Halloween party sort of reconnecting at Patty's place, and then realized like, oh shit, we're, yeah. we're still best friends. We and just so, put it on pause for. A, a, I mean, like a that gets us to like a decade ago or whatever. And then we were like, we were trying to reverse yeah. engineer television shows. We had this manager at the time that was really into like reality shows, so we were like pitching all these reality shows to him. But we, you know, Ryan and I really loved comedy and. We were working on. We wrote three movies. Three movies yeah, starring that dogs. Was, that was an interesting uh. thing for sure. That was my one of my first experiences. Ryan and I wrote a couple movies um, uh, <laughs> for a company who wanted a movie about dogs, and it was my first experience getting really terrible notes back from a studio. Certainly not my last experience with that, but. What were they like? That more cats instead of dogs? Thing. I mean, what are they? The worst. No, 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 she was like, she was like, we don't really believe it. She's like, 
She's like, it's like, what? How are they dogs? Do they like take over the people? It's like a universe of dogs. We're like, lady, it's just it was really... just dogs. <laughs> like that just have human. Like it's just, we're just parroting movies with dogs. They're all gonna. Talk. But how do they talk? It's in their heads, like homeward bound. Shut up. What are you talking about? But the couches are too big for the dog. It's a dog on a couch, lady. Make a smaller couch if you want to make it dog sized. It was very indicative about the type of notes that you get from a studio. Like early on, they were like, hey, we need this movie to be about dogs. And then four meetings later, they're like, hey, guys, why are there all these dogs in the movie? <laughs> You're like, oh, I, we're going back to that again? I thought we had to kind of move on from that point. It's like the only. So that was really fun. We, we wrote a couple other other films and you know it ended up getting this oh man you guys are gonna have to mind that for like a, one of your comedies down the road where there's like a scene and they're like oh. it was all about dogs i mean what <laughs> exactly you it's a movie but they're like there's yeah. a lot of dogs in this movie yeah you asked for a i movie mean the good dogs. news is like, yeah, that they did buy and shelve the third or fourth draft which was night and day different from the very first and my favorite draft <laughs> so we do we do have that in our it back was so good still, yeah the, the, you guys got I paid mean, money the, the, yeah. the meeting for them pitching us you got paid actual money we got paid yeah, money the, the that meeting. we used for goods and yeah. services we got to be we, we got to be paid writers <laughs> that's a use for uh, mailbox <laughs> bombs it's the first time being paid writers uh we like i remember the meeting like it was literally they were like we're, we want a movie we want a dog movie we want dog parodies we want we want uh, the dog father. We want zero bark 30. We want the wolf of wall street to be the bad guy. We're like, is this for adults? And they're like, no, it's for kids. We're like, those were very rated R movies that you just pitched us. Do you want like pup fiction, you know? And like, I'm just pitching. I'm like, and before you know it, we wrote this thing that was the funniest damn movie. I'm going to let you read it someday. Andy. we should just do a live reading at some point on like Twitch. They wanted nothing to do with, which was pure comedy gold. That first one, the first one that was like, and it was like $40 million because they didn't realize what sort of budget they were going to deal with with all the dogs and the training and the dog doubles because you're going to have to have five doubles for every dog. I, fe- I Ugh, fear wow. we may have said too much, actually. Anywho, uh, anywho, we're not here to talk about the dog movie, but that no, is No, really no, no. We're here just, to talk uh, about you two men and your, your journey, and uh, and you folded um, me in now, and we all work together. <laughs> but that inspired us to become <laughs> no, good this writers. Is, this is hilarious. I don't think I knew about the dog script. Yeah, that's uh, a real so one. That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. So, um... <laughs> In regards to beginning <laughs> your your space your space stories, adventure, yeah. was there a moment where you said, "Okay, <laughs> let's go, let's go the space route. We want to do something sci-fi," or did it just kind of happen naturally? You know, what kind of prompted going the the kind of sci-fi route? I right. Guess? I mean, that's an interesting question. I think it came from a combination of things. You know, Ryan and I had after this dog thing worked on several screenplays and. You know, we're meeting with our our agent and hearing all these sort of fantastical notes. And we really just, like, had to to hunker down and, like, cocoon ourselves, is, to borrow a phrase from you, Andy, and, like, figure out what it was that we really liked. Because we were getting all these notes from, from everywhere and we were trying to be chameleons. And as a writer, that is fine. That's part of the job. It's like you just... You give the people what they want. But yeah. we were like, what do we want? <laughs> Is that right, Ryan? 
Yeah. What are our favorites? Yeah, it was like it was like our two favorite things were like sci-fi and comedy. And we're like sci-fi comedy that doesn't really exist very much in our universe. And like, let's go for it. And we started developing and developing and like building and building. And then I remember the day the Orville came out, <laughs> and we were like, no. They stole our thing, and it really wasn't. Like when we saw it, like the Orville is a whole different show than Great ours, show. and we were we were sort of deflated though. And like as writers and going through so much, through so much work developing these characters, this thing we thought we were like we were gonna have the only sci-fi comedy in the whole world now. Like this is ours, and we kind of did at the time, <laughs> literally. And then everything started coming out, which proved that like we were right on the zeitgeist, and that was like right the perfect yeah. time. And everybody else that was probably doing the same developing of things that are coming out right now we're probably having the same sparks around the time we were seven years ago when we started when i think last best hope was originally conceived about in 2013 mm -hmm. so it's 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 had a seven long journey now, yeah. you know it's been a really fun thing and, and yeah and and from you know from from just sitting from writer sessions to recording sessions to release it was an it was insane and the fact in the the and the recording sessions and the release happened so fast with each other because Nick had a quarantine to basically <laughs> teach himself how to do all yeah. <laughs> sound design and sound engineering. It was fascinating. He, he taught himself what normally takes people uh, several years of school in, in, in about a month to uh, edit this thing himself and, uh, and give himself something to sort of keep uh, occupied and creative during this crazy time we've all been in. But it was really... It, it deflated us at first to see like, oh, the Orville's coming out and all and all Avenue Five. These, and, but then we realized, oh no, we have our own thing. We built a universe that's ours. They can't they can't touch it, and it, and it felt we felt safe. But it was also um, it wasn't discouraging. It was sort of encouraging. Like everyone is wanting this right now, so yeah. let's give it to them. You know, it was it was a weird journey to sort of have these ups ups and downs. Um, but I'm proud that we've we, we stuck through it, and I'm really 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 proud of Nick. Uh, a million, million, uh, um, so many uh, applause go to him for all the hard work that he did producing this thing and getting it out for the, the people because it sounds so good. And uh, and I never expected it to be this polished and amazing. So um, I'm really proud thanks. of him. You know, uh, That was the other thing is like, you know, to work on something that you love and that you're proud of. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> well, I'm proud of all you too because Andy, your voice work is, ins is insane. It's outstanding. Thank like, you, brother. To be able to get you as a part of this too, was Thanks also great because I got to be with like my best friends. You know, like you two are my my best friends in the world. So it's like you know to get everybody and Pat and Patty is another best. I have like you know I have a handful of besties, but y'all are like my core. And to get everyone together was really really cool. And to get Cooper from my show, yeah. and Cooper brought you know and to, for Cooper to bring his wife in who is so talented. She plays two of the core six characters. Liz Stewart is so phenomenal. She's doing these so scenes. Funny. You know, with herself a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, to answer to get to answer your question, we we just made like a Venn diagram of what we loved, and it what for me it was like comedy, science fiction, and synthesizer music, and so uh, yeah. we were like, what is at the middle of that? <laughs> and to Ryan's Sweet point, like sin. you know, it's not a novel, it's not a painting. This is a, a project that has you know, a dozen or more people involved and everyone's playing their own role and their own part in it. And th that was really great seeing it come to life, you know, because we can't, we, we don't exist in a vacuum. And as we're making entertainment, like it's a very team sport. So I feel like we really built a great team right. with a bunch of Nickelodeon actors and people from our own lives and just random people from the internet as <laughs> sometimes we... <laughs> Anupam, yeah. 
Anupam, right. dude. Yeah, shout out to him. He plays the uh, president, right? Anupam uh, plays uh, a character called Dr. President. Anupam is Dr. President. From... <laughs> He's Dr. President, goddammit. He didn't go to seven years of president college to be called He's fucking Mr. President. From India. Mr. President was his father. Uh, he, he was a mechanical engineer He's before moving awesome. to California to pursue an acting career. Uh, he's brilliant. He, I know that when we were casting um, this character called Dr. President, who was like, you know, think of him as the head of the UN sort of guy, uh, a thousand years in the future, who would really be the figurehead in a utopian world, uh, the leader of, of Earth. And, you know, Ryan and I decided that we wanted someone who had a real accent that we didn't want to like be doing an accent so we just put out feelers and did auditions and found this guy anupam who was so hilarious and i you know when we recorded a year or two ago i don't think he had he had done a lot of um performance work and like commercial work um but not really comedy and so i was a little bit nervous about that but it ended up being really great because Dr. President is such a stoic diplomat anyway. He played it so straight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He played yeah. it so straight and he brought that. Yeah, and yeah. it's like comedy. It's Comedy scares a lot of people. But honestly, if you play it super straight, I mean, look at like Leslie Nielsen mm-hmm. and that whole, you know, the David Zucker and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that whole thing of just playing it play so it straight, straight. The comedy, and the comedy comes, comes out. out the yeah. yeah. Um, but definitely it has this very larger than life. I, know, he said it, I, think, he, I think he said that that was based on his... Um, I think he said his character is based on his father, uh, if I remember. Oh, yeah, so he right. motivated from someone close to him, which was great. You know, I hope his dad gets <laughs> to listen to it someday and they both enjoy it. <laughs> yeah, so we're on this uh, we're on this spaceship called the USS S. S. How many? A lot of S's, There's right? three. Three S's. Three. Only, only three. I'm it's adding just, more. There's only three, but there might be a there fourth be, in season yeah. two. We don't know. Just we keep picking up more S's. Bittersweet Symphony. We should add one every season. Yeah, because it's like the it, the USSS Bittersweet Symphony stood for like the United States Space Ship right. or something. I think so. It's like we were getting all the S's yeah. in there. U- U.S. Spaceship. And, and the, um, so like the you know we might have to just tack another S on for no reason yeah. whatsoever every season just to get people you know. <laughs> and uh, we have Captain David Berger who's played by Cooper Barnes, like you said, who Ryan has worked with on Henry Danger and now again on Danger Force. You guys are back. Um, you were just back on set, I believe, last week, right, on Nickelodeon. Yeah. yeah, you were in. So you ran. So literally, we did our episode in March. Yeah, I was back on set last week. We did our great. episode in March, the Judgment Day episode, and I think. I want to say literally the next day uh, you you took off for uh, Colorado, to be with your family, and then the am- the my, hammer came down. My grandma, uh, my grandma, your grandma passed, passed away. away. And I had to take Super off. Super sorry yeah. about that. And then and then the hammer came. In. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, you know, she's uh, not dealing with um, that nonsense. Yeah. Anymore, so it's okay. But uh, but yeah, then we got locked down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, you so you've been with so your I family for around. you know it was it was about six months, and uh, I'm. It was I'm grateful that I'm grateful that Henry Danger happened because I don't know if you would have been lured back uh, to LA otherwise. I'm sorry, Danger Force. I wouldn't have come back. Um, I probably wouldn't have come back before the holidays uh, if it weren't for work. You know, yeah. calling me back. It, it, fe- it feels good to be called back up to work, even though you know we have to. 
it was very strict. We couldn't do normal things where we got to hang out on set and, and be buddies. It was like we were being held captive in our dressing rooms and then carted to set right. and then very meticulously only the actors could take their masks off and put them in special drawers. And, and so it was it was tough, but but it was also just nice to see everyone's faces, even if we just saw the top of them. <laughs> um, and, and uh, you know, just a little bit. It, 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 you know, it felt good to like, and, and you know, and I... Uh, and and I got to see your face recently when you dropped off uh, Dead Alive on DVD for me in the hallway there, and I got to see Andy briefly. And uh, Nick and I are, are getting our reunion um, tour together here, where we're gonna start hanging out um, on different park benches on a Wi-Fi yeah. hub with masks. We'll get tested every fifteen like minutes. Oh, that's there. great! You guys are back together. Are you gonna be writing more um, Last Best <laughs> Hope or a new project or? There's all sorts of stuff in the mix. Yeah, of course. There's more Last um, Best Hope coming uh, soon. Yeah, and. We, I think for me, I really caught the bug of radio play. I know I'm probably a decade yeah. too late to be like, guys, have you, do you know about podcasts? <laughs> but <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I think it's having, it's having a resurgence, I, know, right? I think. And now it's like, we're all in our cars and now it's like, now we can't even hang out in normal circumstances. Like Ryan was just saying with the, with the, with the quarantine and COVID and I think people are really. Um, I, I think people really ate up Last Best Hope. Either that was you guys pushing it great, or uh, also it's just wonderful. I think once you listen to one, you can't help but just want. Yeah, we've and... we've been lucky. We've gotten a really great response and fan mail and all this stuff. Like now we have fans. It's it's really it's yeah. great. There's been a great response. There's been thousands and thousands of people listening. So. That's great. I think people really get the retro ness. You know, I think they really get it. Right. So I don't think you're late. <laughs> Andy, you're. You're, and thank you so much, Andy, because you're you're also a direct result of that, um, Andy. So we we were on, we forgot to get to the whole cast, but Liz uh, Stewart Cooper's wife plays uh, engineer Samantha West and teen genius Jason Kirkpatrick, our great uh, great dear friend and my <laughs> old college comrade uh, Haley Wells. Haley, <laughs> and yeah, she asked, and uh, and Nick and Nick's got a story about that. And it's like Haley Wells from uh, my college days. Uh, is our mystic Dasha Vindi, and um, we have special guest stars like our buddy Derek, another Colorado native. <laughs> our buddy Derek uh, plays uh, Johnny Star. Johnny Star. And Nick Chandler oh, here uh, plays our narrator and, and some of my favorite guest stars. Uh, Nick Chandler plays our um, our our candy, um, our old candy man, um, old Earl Sucrose. Earl Sucrose. just a man made out of candy. He's a man made out of entire, so and all funny. he does really is just complain about the parts of his body made out of candy and that he's really tired about it. Uh, and then he also plays the, the mayor. Uh, and we go, we go inside of Jason uh, kid Patrick for an episode and Nick plays the mayor of Jason town. Yeah, it's like uh, inner and space. Takes us or on a lovely tour of all the, the I love inner we, space. we did like an inner space. Anyway, yeah, we yeah, had so much space. fun. And Andy and Andy plays Andy plays several different characters on the show and, and our and our ship's computer D O U G Doug. We wrote him as somebody that has sort of a little bit of a bipolar personality where he's like kind of soft and then really abusive where he's like, Thank you, Captain. I will do that right yeah. away and like Andy fries his voice doing this, but he's so talented that he manages like even when we're <laughs> vocally fried and we're all doing like a thousand warm-ups in the morning and drinking yeah. tea he still brings it I mean, it's really that's such a fun part the that... talent on this show we were so lucky with the talent and then yeah and I'm okay <laughs> and you're, Ryan you're, plays you're palatable uh, yeah uh, Dr. Uh, Jack Buckley who's kind of a big deal uh, he's the doctor and the gunner but yeah I mean listening <laughs> to everybody breathe life into it like Andy is a great example because we, we wrote this ship's computer voice that's doing a thing that that maybe fans of sci-fi are familiar with like the normal voice. And then he goes, 
the idea was that he like clicks into a more robotic voice, which is like a trope we've seen before. But to watch Andy do it and really breathe life into it in a way that we were not really <laughs> expecting and just like owning it, it was, it was fantastic. Such a fun role. You guys hooked me up with. He has like a joke built it's into like every. It's like comedically line, aggressive. You know? I love. It. I know it was so much fun. I was like, man, I, I got the best. I got the best lines. You guys. <laughs> well, and we loved uh, we loved being able to use you for all the other parts too, because we have all these guest yeah. parts. And why go too hard? Why cast too hard? And when we're just like, "Hey, Cooper, do your best like Western guy voice." Okay, this is my now. And like, uh, "Hey, Andy, do your Western." Oh yeah, my, yeah that was I'm, so I'm fun. I think that was my favorite. They're like, oh I shit, mean, perfect. Andy and Cooper as East, East and West, West in, yeah. in the time travel really episode <laughs> in the ancient American Wild West was really a treat. Oh um, my god, yeah, that was such a blast. But you inspired us to just keep doing that, to keep writing uh, fun guest star parts, sort of specifically for you guys. So it, uh, it's whenever you guys fun. need we me, have, I'm, we I'm have ready. a new episode we've been working on. <laughs> I'm here. Uh, hey, man, uh, we're we're uh, almost halfway done with our newest episode, and we've got a few more that we're sort of um, that are ready to go too. So we'll, we're going to get it moving along. We just have to get everyone's schedules. We'll yeah, you guys out. had a uh, you guys have written ahead, head. but everyone, yeah. you know. We're trying to get this to a place where we can eventually pay our actors and do a lot of things and turn this into a live-action television series built on sets, maybe in possibly I mean, Australia I think the hope and dream is like... definitely to go live-action, but, you know, mm-hmm. it's much easier to say, hey, what is this show? And instead of being like, here's the 22-second elevator pitch, you could say, like, well, here's, here's six <laughs> episodes, you know. And getting the, right. the radio play thing, like the theater of the mind was really fascinating to me. I was reading about how they did it, um, you know, back when they used to do only this at CBS in the forties. And it was really fascinating. I know that writers would often try and make things chrome or silver because when you're imagining stuff in your head, that that'll like introduce light into the theater of the mind and so there's all these like little tricks Mm. that we were employing to like use your own psychology against you and for you to like really picture what's (laughs) happening and after like learning how to do all the sound design i just i mean the stuff that we were able to do in 45 minutes as a radio play for near to, to nothing would have cost hundreds of millions of dollars I know, to exactly. film live Watch action. Your, like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So again, we're on a we're on a spaceship that's lost in space and time. So in the very first episode, they get like sent in. You know, they don't know where they are. They just kind of were like the closest people to the the problem, and then they had to jump on it. Very bureaucracy, right? Right. Um, and then, yeah. So that became the launching pad for just. Uh, whatever weekly adventure you can have. And you guys definitely tap into old serials, you know, Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. There's definitely, like, the Star Trek element of, like, you know, Planet of the Week and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, many, 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 many homages and nods to... You guys obviously are well-versed and do your homework and know your stuff. <laughs> you can so tell we a- just ripped off everything <laughs> in the sci-fi universe. Uh, you can you literally <laughs> pinpoint it all. Uh, no, it was actually fun to... It was fun to like. It, it was fun to. It was fun to like be influenced and then and then grow right. on that and then see our own thing sort of blossom. And we're like, oh shit, it's its own. Really, thing. it and is. Like, you can you can steal our stuff if you want. Yeah, <laughs> like, that was fun. Yeah, you guys definitely created um, a whole new. Yeah, like I don't I don't want to say you were copying or ripping off anything. I mean, I think you were just doing homages <laughs> and everything's it, like it's a fusion, you know. And we are children of 
the generation before. You know, we grew up watching right. Next Generation every week, and you know, we grew up with all this stuff. And so it's really cool that you guys were able to. Everything's a ripoff of Greek tragedies, Shakespeare, and Jules Verne. Everything <laughs> go. And everything, everything is ripped off of those, and, and you can't prove And it. Harry Potter. The Bible, Gilgamesh, it's all been ripped <laughs> off. Harry Potter, that was a book series that she stole called Larry Trotter. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So in terms of, like, formal roles, I mean, I know it was a very collaborative thing. I just want to say that, uh, you know, Nick kind of took the director role, but you guys wrote it together, you produced it together, you obviously had the idea together. I love that the original idea was the answering machine. Full disclosure, that was us just like goofing around one day and that was totally <laughs> improvised and it turns out that a lot of the things that were just made up on the spot there is, you know, Ryan and I are actors and improvisers. We, that was very early on in the writing process and then we ended up sort of reverse engineering large chunks of the show to make that <laughs> message make sense. Which, <laughs> which was an interesting uh, sort of writing challenge um, or exercise. Yeah, here's a treasure. Now figure out how to dig to it. Go. You're just like, Shit. I, I mean, love that story. <laughs> I love this. And credit where credit's due. I mean, I think I was just trying to think of the most nefarious, evil creature from space I could. Uh, so yeah. I said giant beetle beasts, and I think part of that was probably from the movie we're we're gonna watch here in a, in a minute, uh, Starship Troopers, that has like <laughs> evil bugs yes. from outer space, which is a common trope, um, right? So yeah, it just sort of came out of the ether, out of the muse, which is not something I actually I mean, believe in. I'm more of a perspiration over inspiration <laughs> kind of guy. Um, but I mean, there yeah. it is. Proof's in the pudding. It it did come out. This of one felt me like 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 the muse was hitting us. Yeah, this one felt like the muse was hitting us just right. Nick was hey, hit don't with, fight like, it. Don't fight it when it comes. You know. And and and, 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 and you know, and we worked. You know, we were, we uh, we worked really hard in the writers' room together. And then and we did a lot of reads where like he would read parts and then just sort of we would have to cast him because he read it better than anyone we could ever cast. <laughs> yeah, you were so funny. And then uh, and then it turned into and then it turned into. Um, you know, uh, and then Nick became, you know, like our, our, our director because he's got the actor's mind and he learned how to sort of, he learned how to, you know, uh, his whole directing style, um, sort of, you know, has, has been able to evolve over this whole thing. He's also our executive producer, our sound designer, our engineer, um, and our showrunner. So like Nick is the, is the show I'm here as his best buddy. Who's also, um, a partner with a lot of the aspects, but Really, the show is because of Nick. So, I mean, I give him, like, all the credit for this one. And all the hard work, you know. He put in, like, just like, I'm hundreds and hundreds you of hours. You know, you can't see this, but I am bowing politely. Thank you. No, no, I, I heard, love you so I much, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard work to do because he was a one-man, you know, crew. Normally, there's, there's 15, 20 people doing all yeah. this. And, and he was no, I mean, it was real treat to be in the in the room as an actor. Um, you know, we all have our scripts out. We all have our microphones in front of us. And we had that. You guys really wanted to do the kind of live radio play right. style. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then yeah. it went great. And it felt great on the day. And I really felt like I was in a, a spaceship. And I really felt like I was in space. And this was incredible. And um, But then, yeah, getting to here. And uh, Nick was sending me um, over the last few months, like, little like one minute snippets uh, just like texting me and it was just like no introduction just like a text of like an audio file and i would yeah, yeah. play it and yeah, it was yeah. like a well manicured like the sound design the you know the music which of course 
he was really jumped on. And like you said, uh, your, your love for synthesizers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I learned the term synth nest by coming <laughs> over your place. And you're like, oh, my synth. I was like, oh, I love your setup. You're like, yeah, I got my little synth nest here. And I, and I was like, I've never heard that term before. So, yeah, being able to fuse all your guys's, you know, abilities and skills and loves and passions and really f- giving it that. And you can just really feel the love, you know, and it, it really translates. I think that's what makes the work easy, at the, easier at that point when you're dealing with something you love that's that's your baby and it's funny and, and it's all your favorite things. It, it makes it easier to spend a million hours <laughs> meticulously tweaking all the tiny things because we were just about four or five pop filters short. Of <laughs> we'll fix it in post. I mean, I had a blast doing it. And I think when people hear it, they will hear that the actors are having fun, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. They yeah. are really enjoying themselves in the room. And I think that means so much. Um, sometimes when you yeah, watch. You didn't edit out some of the laughter, which I love. <laughs> I mean, people are having a blast. Yeah, so, no, I love that. Sometimes we're just laughing at ourselves and we can't edit it out because it's too right. No, I love that you guys did that. Uh, it, like you said, it gives it that that very organic vibe. Uh, did a radio play podcast with my buddy Neil Gershon from uh, No Brow, our, also our YouTube channel No Brow. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, and we did it, we did it very much like piece by piece, you know, like one line at a time. And we we often found that usually the first or the last take were the better ones. Um, oh. But it was cool to kind of see it from the other side of the coin, ah. doing it more like live. We were all sitting there around the room with our mics, and instead of taking turns going into a closet, I mean, I think both methods work well. I think mm-hmm. ours ours came out well. Um, but you did, yeah, you're talking about pajamas, which is brilliant if people haven't yeah, heard Daniel's that. Pajamas, That's like yeah, Daniel's pajamas, yeah. Hard-boiled detective. Private dick. Yeah. yeah. So good. It's mm-hmm. so well-produced. You can you can hear it. You can hear how produced how well-produced it is because, yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, this is more of an ensemble piece. Like you said, it's more of like a, like a Star Trek with, yeah, uh, you know, show. you have your... Uh, yeah, you can hear it. You can hear it. You can hear how well it's... Thank you so much, yeah. It was yeah. important to me to have everybody in the room doing it because I think there's... It saved me some some time in the editing bay, but it also was like I wanted some real reactions from people, which you can right. you know you can get great performances out of people one on one, but I really wanted people like cracking up, and, you know. And I purposely was sitting. I shared some of the scripts very early, and then I purposely sat on the last two or three, so people were like. What? What is yeah. happening? No, I remember uh, being over uh, being over Ryan's place. I think the day before, when we were kind of just rehearsing, and he, he's like, "All right, we just we, we ran through it once. Let's not let's not beat a dead horse. I want it to be fresh." Right. And he was like, "We're good. We're good. You got it. Don't worry about it." You know. <laughs> and of course, I'm always like, "I got to prepare and I got to make sure I'm you know on it." But uh, yeah, like you said, um, kind of having that fresh, because that's what it is. It's like you want to feel like it's happening in the moment, and that's acting is reacting to things as they come in the moment. But there is a kind of a push pull where you over. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think you can overdo it and lose some of those, uh, um, lose some of that rawness. And I think that's what I was saying before with pajama with Daniel's pajamas. Uh, usually the yeah, first I think take radio was the best, play actually. was was really the the key there, like a play. We're all right. we're all doing it together at the same time. Um, I want I wanted some of the reactions to be real, and even Cooper was like. Uh, the gentleman who plays our captain was like, oh, wait, what What happens in this? And I was yeah. like, ah, I don't want to tell you. Because yeah, yeah, for sure. It's so outlandish that I really want your actual... Fresh and then when he's cracking up and, you know, 
half laughing as the captain and half laughing as himself, it really, I think, plays really well. So, yeah, sorry, yeah, Cooper, sure. to prank you like that, but I think it turned <laughs> out for the best. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, he's so great. I mean, I think it's 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 very much in the it's uh, the vein of a sitcom where you know you you rehearse, you do, and then you do like a five minute chunk in front of an audience, and then they cut like. It's a it's a play, you know. We really wanted to get the energy and the, and feed off of each other, and I think that that shows through. You can tell that like everyone is sort of in the same room having having fun together. Uh, we're, we're not gonna be able to do that for a minute, but it was good while it lasted. I tell you what, <laughs> really, it's was. my favorite part. It's funny. It's it's the best part months... of twenty twenty was doing that. <laughs> yeah, I think so for me too. It was it's like months the end and of months February. of writing. It's like. Seriously, it's my highlight. Two days <laughs> in a recording booth, and then months and months of editing. It's yeah. hundreds of hours, but really those like twelve hours in the booth are like the most fun. Yeah, yeah. What it's the whole group, and for sure, <laughs> oh man, it's uh, it's it's so wonderful. I, I'm really just so honored to be part of it that you guys folded me in. So cool. Um, in terms of Cooper's voice, it has this kind of real classic. Uh, Nick, help me out here. How would you like? How would you call it? Like a, a tr- okay. Transatlantic. That is partly transatlantic. And Cooper and I talked about it, you know, right before we recorded the first couple episodes. And, you know, he is such a brilliant actor. And essentially, he was like, this is what I'm thinking. It's a little bit original Captain Kirk. It's a little bit sort of newsman from the 1950s. And it's a little bit Kirk. And. He really uh-huh. split the difference, and I, you know, early on, the narrator was really sort of transatlantic. Tonight, look what happened as the Nazis roll in. Yeah, um, right, right, right. And I didn't want those two things to sort of step on each other, so we, I mean, we sat down for half an hour, an hour, and really got got the voices dialed in. It kicked narrator voice more into, like, Sunday, Sunday. Um, I mean... <laughs> which i think works Last really week. well you you do hear that a little bit in uh some of the star wars animated stuff so it wasn't and mm-hmm. i was very you know we we didn't want to step on anything else as we were like creating our own version of these things right. um but to to cooper's credit he really does this thing which is like half kirk half transatlantic and i want to say like half leslie nielsen from airplane and <laughs> yeah, it's like really, <laughs> really amazing <laughs> to listen to him do that. It's so um, good. So that's where it came from. And, so you know, talented. my narrator voice was, you know, initially really heavy, like Sunday monster truck rally. And then I, <laughs> I ended it up sort of being half my natural voice, which is a little, you know, higher and and sort of more real and so it it ended up being existing in a space that i'm that i'm really happy with happy with yeah and similarly with liz stewart who plays um engineer samantha west which is um you know this character who you see in early sci-fi a lot as like the damsel in distress and we really wanted one of those so that we could play with that trope and make fun of it and you know give her power and sort of just poke fun at what damsel in distress storylines used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and she took to that really well. And then we, we auditioned a bunch of people to play the teen. And when she sent her tape, 
it was the best we had heard. And, and then we had this new problem of like, well, you know, she's already playing Samantha West, which is this, you know, takes up a fifth of every of the script. Um, so to have her, have her play both people, we were a little bit nervous about. But it ended up being comedy gold because <laughs> hearing her switch back and forth is like so fun. And so fun. You know, in the edit bay, often I would sort of overlap the lines to give the impression that, oh, these are two people. But I think maybe about 50, 40 or 50% of the time, I don't do any of that. And I just let her switch because hearing her switch in the moment is like so endearing and... Uh, funny in its own right that I was just like we can't I, in, in the first episode we have them like talking over each other and saying jinx or whatever and I spent you know an hour cutting it down so they actually were talking each other over each other and then I was like it, it lost some of the gold right lost it lost some of, her some of the energy no I mean I was in the, I was in the so room I undid and just, all that. you wouldn't almost believe it unless you saw it uh, just and, and hear it <laughs> like her her ability to switch back and forth. Um, she is a magical creature. I don't know how she does it. I know. I, I was. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, Andy was in the room where it. Yes, happened. it was like it's. It, it really happened, guys. She really can. She's a. She's a. She's a demon in the on the she's microphone. A let me tell you. <laughs> it was really great seeing people breathe life into it. Because again, I mean, these are tropes that we've heard of, right? This is like the doctor this is the captain this is the psychic this is the teen genius like we we know about these people but our actors really breathe life i mean go just go listen to it people just just listen to the rest of this and then go listen to last best hope and yeah. you tell us what you think <laughs> actually you can just you can just forget about the antiplex you're listening to. you really want to no, listen to the last best hope. i love the antiplex just kidding <laughs> oh no this is great i mean you shit me i love your show man it's so much fun you guys are co you're officially co-hosts and now you're repeating co-hosts oh wow so do we're we building... get co-host status yeah this is what? wow do i are can we i co have co-hosts wait <laughs> what is it co-host squared uh what that's great. Are, are we cubed hosts? You're cubed, cubed hosts. hosts. Um, Do we get a pin or a badge? We get a little three, like Alien Cubed. <laughs> yeah, Alien 3. It's called Alien Cubed. Fight me about it, everybody. Real quick, I just want to play the trailer to Last Best Hope. Everybody go out, check it out on all podcast mediums. Please, it's so funny. It's so fun. It's really just instant good mood. It, you, I mean... It's really the perfect medicine for this uh, tumultuous year and scary time we're in right now. And uh, so thanks again for all your hard work, guys, with making it and bringing me in. And I'm really just uh, people have really been talking to me and like, oh, yeah, I was I listened to the episode. I listened to episode five. I'm like, OK, they've listened to like several like 40 minute episodes of something like right. like people yeah. are generally, um, you know, people people love me and all. But, you know, if they'll listen to the first thing and if that's that's not enough to hook them they're gonna stop there so they're hooked so great work guys thank you i appreciate that and here's a trailer for last bus soap ah, another perfect day in space i love it here wouldn't you say the stars look particularly stellar today they do, Captain David Berenger. Humanity's been destroyed by a race of murderous bug aliens the people who stand in this room are the last of the living humans. Wow, I'll say it. 
I just have to say it, I've never seen anything like this in all of my life. This is what Space Fleet is all about. A quest through dangers unknown to save humanity itself. And who knows, maybe we learn about ourselves along the way? This is my kind of quest. You never know what kind of day you're gonna have when you wake up, you know? Oh my gosh, I've got an idea, but you're gonna like it. You mean I'm not going to like it? No, 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 you're gonna dig it. Go on. Eat lead, you filthy buck scum! Open fire! Oh, keep shooting! Aim for their bucky heads! Samantha, take cover! Oh, one of them just grabbed a hold of me with their pincher hands! I, I, I can't break free! Hey, it was me, you bloody idiots! Robot Shumbaruma! The robot you love to hate and hate to love! Let me in, love. Your humanity's last best hope for survival. Prepare to die! Where is that coming from? Oh, dear God, we're taking heavy fire from an unknown enemy. Engineer Samantha West, have our shields been compromised? Captain, we were at 23%. Now we're down to only 9%. One more hit like that and we won't be around to calculate percentiles. Dosh and Chambers are locked out of the bridge and the ship is careening towards an explosive asteroid field and we have, uh, Chambers, uh, how much time? Uh, 14 seconds. 14, 14 seconds, seconds before we all die a fiery death. Oh, we've been humanity's last best hope for one day and already messed it up big time. It's been one day. That's fair, that's fair, but chin up, gang. So we're lost in space and time. At least we're together. Whatever the future of this future may hold, we'll get through it as a team. The best damn team in Space Fleet. Aren't we the only team left in the Space Fleet? Humanity's last best hope and all that? Yes, Jason. We are humanity's last best hope. You'll just have to tune in next week to see what awaits our crew in this mixed up, messed up universe they find themselves in as they try and find a way back through space and time to Earth to stop the giant beetle beast apocalypse in Last Best Hope. Okay, that was the trailer for Last Best Hope. Check it out online. <laughs> That's and, so good. Uh, Nick edited that himself. <laughs> yeah. He did the music. He did the sound design. He did the, the sound effects. He did some of the voices. That was uh, incredible. Thank you, Nick. Well, I try. Absolutely. Yes. And the, the website. The website is great, too. It the makes web- me I'll cry. put all the information on the uh, description of the episode. Oh, cool. On Apple yeah, Podcasts check out- and SoundCloud. Oh, yeah. He's a website. Yeah, check out the website. It's got all the credits. Design. It's got some fun little Easter eggs. Yeah. It's got links. Real quick. What's the website again, Nick? Uh, it's called lastbesthoperadio.com. <laughs> lastbesthoperadio.com. Mm-hmm. I, I, one day I left it on my projector um, just in the background and just watched that like meteor. Like, There's a hidden video by. game somewhere in the website. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, oh, bonus okay. points if you can find the... There's a, there's a couple of things. <laughs> it's like a there. Ready Player One scenario here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. <laughs> what, do you, what do you win if you find it? Do you get to like have, have uh, the over you find with it, you or... And you can write us an email. Uh, I will record a special greeting. And send in your UPC I will, codes. Uh, yeah, I will do your outgoing voicemail message in any and one of the characters that you like. Handling. Oh, my God. Um, that's great. For, for the first person to find it. If you find, find it, you get it, to do only. a voice on the show, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I can come back. All right. Well, I'll, I'll be digging around after we wrap up today. That's for sure. We can't quit you. <laughs> All right, well, um, it was actually Nick's idea to do Starship Troopers, and I really liked it. And he was like, okay, what's a movie we can, A, that we love and is formative, and, you know, that is awesome. 
but right. also kind of in in the style of you know not something too cheesy but like kind of something fun and it's really a nice hybrid we'll, we'll talk about it after we watch it but uh it's somewhere between a really silly like b movie and this like giant big budget ballsy mm-hmm. action movie um and mm-hmm. uh it's really it's really a masterpiece and i can't wait to dig into it uh any final notes on last best hope obviously if anything pops up you can talk about it later we're not uh listen to it oh thank thank you you. for letting us plug it relentlessly for the last couple uh better part of an hour here (laughs) um it was it's a a project of love and i i think people are really gonna like it hey do you like comedy do you like sci-fi uh, do you like silly voices? Do you like uh, secret uh, mythology? Homemade music. Do you like homemade music? <laughs> do you like homemade, homemade music? music? Do you like uh, a, mo- a moral at the end of your story? Do you like satire? If you answered yes to any one of these questions. Do you like intrigue and outrigue? <laughs> Implosions. Explosions. And now we'll play you to commercial. Yeah. What are you playing? Nick's playing a melodica. I've got a Here ukulele. That was bad. All right. The the creators um, of Last Best Hope are rocking out their own little <laughs> instruments here. All right. Well, that was. Re- <laughs> this is great. That's great. Nick, were you, you just born it. with uh? Nick, were you just um, born with like a synthesizer like in your hand as you like popped out of the womb or? No. It, thank you for asking. <laughs> this comes back to one of my cornerstone things, which is it takes <laughs> decades to become an overnight success. It takes, you know, hundreds and thousands of hours to learn how to do a thing. And then when, now that I can pick up a little toy piano and sort of play it, people are like, wow, you just inherently know how to do that. And no, 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 that was hundreds and thousands of hours of of practice. You gotta, you gotta put in the the blood, sweat, and tears, you know, you gotta, the perspiration. That's like perspiration over inspiration. Inspiration. Well, you guys had a, a fair bit of both. And thank you again for all your perspiration and inspiration. And uh, thanks for sharing your origin story. And now we will be watching the 1997 sci-fi action thriller comedy romance romp. Starship Troopers, directed by Paul Verhoeven. Starring Casper Van Dien, Denise Richards, and a bunch of other awesome folks. We'll We'll be talking about it soon. All right. Doogie Howser. Let's let's play him out. Let's play him out again. And the catcher from Major League 2 and 3. Let's play him out. out. 2, 3, 4! That was hundreds of thousands of hours of practice. Guys, that was incredible. (laughs) Oh my god. That was amazing. Ryan Grassmeyer, Nick Chandler, and I have just watched the 1997 sci-fi 
wartime rom com. We'll, we'll talk what it is, <laughs> but uh, 1997, Paul Verhoeven directed Starship Troopers. And this movie, how good does this movie hold up, right? <laughs> oh, it's, it's amazing. It's even, even like the graphics do well. And it's got a quality. There's just like men and women naked together, showering. You know, this is the equality <laughs> yeah. we deserve. I know, that's what definitely... What year was it? I'm sorry. 97. So 97, so it was really like 95, 96 that they were doing it. Right. I think they shot it, shot it in 96. And then, uh, yeah, so it's now 23, uh, which is wild. In two more years, it will be 25 already. Um, it still feels like this new movie to me. I, uh, I remember renting it chronically. I probably should have just bought the darn thing. <laughs> but rented it... Um, Probably ten times between the years of like ninety nine and two thousand three, and uh, honestly, it doesn't it doesn't <laughs> age bad at all. You, you you know you think kind of that era of like computer graphics and stuff like that, but they did it in such a way with the layering, and they did a lot of like stuff with the lighting to give it more of a tactile look with some of the CG, and they didn't just overdo it. You know, they they did it in a very they did it in a very like simple way where they still used the actual backgrounds and they knew how to blend it really well and give it that physical reality and ground it in physical reality. So, man, I can't get over how good it ages because it's been about five years since I've watched it or so. And I really was like, okay, it's probably some of the, the computer stuff probably not going to you know age incredibly well. But just, you know, watched it on my, my wall in 180 inches and honestly... It ages so much better than a lot of stuff that came. It looks great. Even five, I think it's seven one of the years later. First movies that really, um, you know, we see a lot of CG and stuff from the '90s, and it's like so uh, jarring because because it's not blended well. And I think these guys figured out to do add a little bit of dust and atmosphere and stuff to help blend that line between the real and unreal, and. Um, it really holds up so well, not only in terms of like technical prowess, but yeah, the um, the uh, the sets that they built and then the, the spaces that they use, the locations that they use, they felt you know they felt foreign. It felt you know like they were they were good. It was a space battle you know happening on a foreign bug planet and stuff. The they used some sets I think from Total Recall, as oh, really? I totally recall. <laughs> uh, apparently, Verhoeven's like. Hey man, we still got like a couple of trailers full of sets. Just throw them shits in there. We'll make. Well, even their costumes were reused uh, several times for different projects. And um, even later on in Race to Witch Mountain, which is a movie um, that I did background with, uh, it's a Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie. There was uh, costumes um, that were used in the back for the background actors. There was there was original Doom costumes like. It's like like original Doom costumes that had just gotten lost <laughs> that were just being used for, like as sci-fi background for like a convention, uh, for like a for a sci-fi convention. But uh, I think that was uh, really a, a fascinating way to um, sort of keep it going. It's like just reuse the stuff and like and use what you know and make it look as authentic yeah. as possible without a bunch of green screen shit. They were begging for green screens apparently a lot of the times because they were just worn out, and they were like, "Can we just have some green screens?" Like, no. Run up that fucking hill again, and um, and and Verhoeven was very hands-on. You know, even in the shower scene I was talking about earlier, where it's like you've got all these, the men and the women are showering together because it's like in the future there's equality and there's there's just not that 
that that constant you know uh, sexual tension bullshit going on where you can have a conversation nude with a comrade of an opposite gender and it's fine and one of the actors uh, the, one of the girls was like I just I want to know that this like scene makes sense like well, how are you going to meet us and Verhoeven was like I'll, I'll get naked with you guys and then he was just naked filming that scene <laughs> with them they were all just balls out yeah. together I think that's that's that, that speaks troves of his, um, you know, of, of just of his vision and of the masterpiece he was making was how, how, how you know, how do I make something that's that's realistic, you know, and, and it and it does it holds up because of yeah. that. Um, it's just it's it's just never it's never um, like aged uh, in a way that that. Uh, but it was I remember it was originally um, sort of uh, re- received as like this this real campy garbage movie because people didn't really have an idea of what it was. Sure. You know? It's a lot more complicated than I think it actually, on. I think it ages better because I think it's like more relevant now than it was then because people have an understanding of these uh, the, these new genres of stuff. Um, but Verhoeven was ahead of his time with yeah. everything he did. And I, I think you're right. And you can just feel his style on screen. And it's very tactile. And like you said, the costumes and the backgrounds and... You know, you find yourself thinking about Total Recall and RoboCop. Now, actually, it's funny. Um, I was watching this. Uh, you know, watching this, I was like, "Oh, did he do anything between Total Recall and, and Starship Troopers?" And he actually, he kind of pivoted and did uh, Basic Instinct in '92. Wow! And then yeah. he did Showgirls in what was it, '90, '95. <laughs> Which I was in the sequel to that he did not direct, but I'm in Showgirls. Are you Pennies from Heaven? And yeah, I played two characters in that movie, but it was made by Rena Riffle, who's like the new stripper in the. Uh, in the I always show. wondered how you could do the, uh, do the split you know? so well. Was it from from working on that? <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was, I was a hockey goalie when I was young. I was like the real Goldberg, <laughs> where I didn't want yeah. pucks coming through. No, you so. really you really can do the uh, uh, Ryan Grossmeyer yeah, can uh, really yeah. like bust out. I've seen him do it at bars, and people are just like, "Oh my god, it's it's quite a feat of strength and athletic ability." Uh, and uh, I slipped on some ice. I tore my nuts in half, <laughs> just, and now I've got a special. <laughs> but any, but Verhoeven did some interesting things. Yeah, he went to the sort of sultrier side right, of stuff between right. the sci-fi. You know, he went Basic Instinct, where it's just like, it's like a dark here's noir. Um, you know Sharon Stone just flashing beef in your face, dark noir, uh, and then Showgirls, which is a very it's a noir as well. But it's also that's another one that like people didn't understand. They just thought it was pornographic, right. but it wasn't really. You know, it's, it's sort of an art artistic yeah. movie about stripping but it's an artistic film it's not striptease mm-hmm. with um you know demi moore which also has rena riffle from showgirls she sort of got stuck in that role and then she made pennies from heaven where she just plays a stripper again uh, uh showgirls 2 if you ever want to see that it's probably free on imdb uh and you can see me as a as a, as a gay theater director oh my god and as a middle eastern definitely, janitor definitely i did some makeup this. work so his first, his first, I mean this this guy's been in Hollywood working for for so long. I mean honestly in my book, three of my absolute favorite movies are RoboCop, um, Total Recall, and Starship Troopers. And uh, I mean classics. Looking sure. looking at his IMDb right now, yeah, classic yeah. classic sci-fi. You know, real fun romps. Like you're saying, he's really able to kind of like it's like is it a comedy? Is it is it a satire? It's definitely got it all. I mean, I saw Total Recall and, and RoboCop way too young, and uh, it really they messed mm-hmm. me up. And they're very gory. <laughs> a lot, of, a lot of gore in his movies. He's not afraid to yeah. kind of like give you that visceral, you know. And even in, I, I thought forgot. all girls had three boobs. It was confusing. <laughs> Total Recall. What a what a letdown, huh? When you I know. Uh, I was like, you only have two boobs. What's wrong with you? <laughs> 
Yeah, but he has this like oh, yeah. physical, gross. Like everybody's sweaty, and I love this era where, like you said, all the practical and there's so much tangibility there. And and when the blood really happens, they don't they don't hold back, you know. Mm-hmm. Like when Jake Busey gets his <laughs> hand uh, his hand like slammed to the you know with the knife yeah, through yeah. the when he's like in, he's like in boot camp and it's like medic, you know. That becomes like a yeah, day. I love it. Like the, they blow off the guy's head, uh, the 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 catcher from uh, Major League Two and Three, and he's like medic, yep. and I was like, you ain't gonna, no yeah, medic's yeah, I was like, uh, fix that one. Don't think the medic. Yeah, I thought that was that. fascinating that um, that Casper Van Dien, who I, I, they cast him, he was not their first choice at all, but they wanted somebody who was like a blonde, arrogant, kind of like dummy. They wanted, and, and he just was that, and Verhoeven was like, that's the guy. Um, but you, you see in the practical scenes where like they're just shooting these bugs up close and they're just there's just slime getting like blown through tubes in their face right off screen. That makes me so happy. You, you can, it's just the slime from the 90s, the like ectoplasm. Uh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like you, you, the, the orange, like the orange and the green bug guts that they're the always like slapping in people's faces yeah. in the movie. I kept thinking uh, of that was uh, great. You I know, kept thinking of like Nickelodeon slime. Yeah, like you could, the exactly tactile like slime from the eighties uh-huh. and nineties. It's just so satisfying, and it just has such a yeah a unique aesthetic that uh, I found myself <laughs> being so nostalgic of it. And it's funny. I feel like the last the time color, I watched it, I was like, this movie's still yeah. new. I was like, this movie's still uh, the new movie from the hit movie from ninety seven. I'm like, well, okay, it's been twenty three years now, and you can really see that it's that other era now. But it ages so well, and the, the space battle stuff and the ships. Oh, so Denise Richards becomes a pirate, a, pi- a pilot, not a pirate. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe down the road <laughs> she'll, she'll do that. But Casper Van Dien decides to go into the infantry. Uh, Dina Meyer follows Casper into the infantry. Um, then we have Neil Patrick Harris as like the brain, you know, the, the tactical guy. And so we get to follow these guys all going in kind of different departments um, in the name of becoming a citizen. And becoming a citizen is just... Like, we're all U.S. citizens just by being born or whatever. Uh, but for these guys to be a citizen, you really have to kind of, like, sacrifice and give. And the willingness to give for the state, for the government, for your country, or for the, you know, in this case, in this case Earth as its own thing. Um, and now it's this federation. I thought it was cool that it's called, this, like, the federation, which is very reminiscent of, uh, <laughs> of Star Trek. But it actually goes back to Heinlein's novel, which I have not read. But uh, 1959, and um, he wrote a series that are now called his Juvenile Series, which makes it sound like they're lowbrow, but he actually was writing for like a younger <laughs> audience, and he wanted to do something fun. So he kind of stepped out of some of his harder sci-fi in some of his books. And we definitely get that edge here, and I think Verhoeven definitely rebreathed life into it in a new birth. But it has this element of like satire about when... You're so, when you blindly give yourself over to your country or your nation or your world. And watching it now in 2020, specifically as an American, I literally um, was preparing for today. And last night was the first debate between Trump and Joe Biden. We all survived somehow. Yeah. And I was like, it was really a nice kind of juxtaposition watching it in this era and kind of seeing, because I think it's kind of a cautionary tale about some of the, the dangers of blindly giving in to your country. And so Verhoeven um, talked about how he wanted to go back to the, the basically the glory of your country is a good thing. Your willingness to die for your country is a good thing. That was really in World War II. 
you know, people really, they didn't really even have to draft because people were so willing to say, oh my God, I want to go do this for my country. And then fast forward to 2020 and seeing this pride issue. The pride, right. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, Chandler, you were talking on the phone earlier about some of its dualities. Uh, You want to weigh in on, on that for a minute? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really well done in the sense that, I mean, it's almost uncanny. You know, when I saw it as a young adult, in the 90s i was like wow this is great and like the commercial parts like the propaganda pieces where they say like only a, the only good bug is a dead bug yeah <laughs> do you want to learn more would you and like to know more yeah they have these little propaganda pieces that really stuck out back then and yeah. now rewatching it just now they felt like the news like we yeah <laughs> it stuck out less which I think is really unsettling. I know. Right? That now we're living in the time where we're seeing state run media do propaganda pieces. And so when we see a satire of it in a sci fi movie, it seems like, oh, yeah, that's just the news or whatever. So right. that, I thought that was really strange. Like the tone had changed so much in the last 20, 25 years. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he talks about doing this duality picture in one of the. Um, documentaries about it the director was like i'm really making two movies and i thought that was really fascinating and Mm -hmm. seeing it as an adult really well executed where he's like i'm gonna show this movie about these heroes and by the end of it i'm going to reveal to you that the people that you thought were heroes were actually part of a fascist regime and like some some of it is really in your face i think the wardrobe um right you know right before they get those laser tattoos and they they run into the pilot woman she is just full on wearing a nazi outfit yeah, you know? yeah. Like, i was like Wait neil a patrick minute. harris is dressed like a nazi in the end too <laughs> yeah, yeah neil patrick harris has like the gestapo like trench coat he's on like, do- dookie nazi and MD, and i'm like oh he's gonna take your teeth yeah, yeah. I know, I know. And you can't help but, you know, it is a duality in that you can't help but get swept into it. And you're like, oh, we stuck together. Yeah. And they all, they all go into our different departments. And right before, as they're like going to the recruitment center, they're like, let's be friends forever, no matter what, huh, guys? <laughs> and, um, and then there is that kind of like, yeah, they, they did it. And they and like the scene on the end on, on Planet P when they when they beat the brain bug and they, they basically break the back of the enemy um, has that kind of triumphant like, yeah, Earth. But mm-hmm. then you're like, so many people just kind of gave their lives and, you know, just kind of how many people had to die. And, uh, you know, and there was a major attack on um, it was on Buenos Aires, you know, where Casper Van right. parents are. And they had it was like how many people were killed. It was a lot. He doesn't um, seem like he speaks Spanish, but interesting. Great. So this is another point. Like, why are there white Aryan people in Buenos Aires in the future? And it kind of feels mm-hmm. like a little nod to The Man in the High Castle by Philip K. Dick, who imagined a world in which the Germans um, won Go World on. War II and then took over the world. And I think that whoever wrote is that the book... Is we're seeing here, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're seeing that future, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And there's, like, sure. a couple little hints of it. Like, why are there white alien, <laughs> Aryan people in Buenos Aires? And then also, I don't know if you guys caught the name of the outpost that they defend. Um, oh. It's called Joseph Smith, or Joe Smith. Right. 
outpost, which is like the Mormons, and they even show a shot of the right. Gabriel blowing the horn. The original story um, was called Bug Hunt at Outpost 9, that this is all based off of, which cracks me up because it sounds like a Last Best Hope episode. Yeah. But then they then they changed it. Uh, they, they put that in. I didn't notice that. Right. I mean, it's really masterfully done magazines. because obviously these are killer bugs from outer space, and obviously these are good-looking humans, and, and they are the protagonists and we're rooting for them but then like do we ever know why the bugs are fighting us and why they're shooting at us no it's like the whole film is a propaganda piece right we never really get the we never get the, the other, other side, side of the, of the, the <laughs> right? side of the coin and yeah. i suspect that we are invading their worlds which is why they start attacking us but then immediately are framed as like look at these evil bugs right Right. Yeah, I mean, we don't really get... You're right, we never really get the other side of, like, what the enemy's all about. They say, like, oh, they want to they wanna learn what's, what makes us tick so they can kill us, you know? But is that really true, <laughs> yeah. or are they just... Propaganda. Maybe they just want to... That's all propaganda, right. That's, I Verhoeven love that. grew up in, occupied, the Nether, in the occupied Netherlands and wanted to sort of convey that, I think, um, a little bit, uh, like sort of his childhood um, hmm. onto film there, because he, he grew up in that world. Yeah, the yeah. War, World War Two is all over this thing. The outfits. I, I mean, even like the the gun turrets on the uh, you know in the big yeah. fight sequence, the Alamo kind of sequence uh, on planet. Yeah. The design of the ships, like the American and German. I guess you could call it Earthian imperialism. Like when you mm-hmm. see a movie, uh, like I mean, there's so many great sci-fi movies where the ships are elegant and gorgeous and sleek and feminine and. But when you look at these ships, they are tanks in space. They're tanks. I mean, they're really <laughs> yeah. well done. But right. they are... I mean, absolutely. It, it, he wanted to... Yeah. He, his intention... It takes the 20th century notion of war and just fast-forwards it into the future. Instead of imagining, oh, this is the new... Like, Star Trek's like, wow, this is the new future and this utopia. But what this movie does is, like, this is 20th century warfare in space projected into space mm-hmm. yeah exactly <laughs> right i know and i couldn't help but like little things like oh the the bug the bug home runs on the literal other side of the galaxy <laughs> they they can uh you know it's like they have this technology to go super 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 fast in star trek voyager they're trying to get from one side of the galaxy back home to the other side of the galaxy and even right. at maximum warp that it's going to take like 70 years or whatever so they have the power to go like super super fast yet so many other things seem kind of clunky and very like modern, like you were saying. So there's kind of this fusion of like it's definitely a modern. Pro- I like that you, what you said, Nick, of a modern projection into the future, which most sci-fi really you know is, and the allegorical elements are there. Um, and yeah, I the how funny were the little the media stabs, very much like the propaganda videos. Um, <laughs> it's like the best part for me. The movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you want to learn? Would more? you like to know more? You know, <laughs> and, and it's like censored, and it's like we're analyzing yeah. the brain. We're analyzing the brain yeah, bug, and they just stab it. You know, <laughs> and you just stab it. like that's the only censored part in the entire film. We just got done seeing the most like graphic shit in the world. Yeah, yeah I guess it's like the so newsreel that you would see. I mean, I would censor that bug's weird butthole life. mouth that the thing comes out of. Like that's uh, censor that. Yeah, that was me, that was nightmarish. The brain bug, I, like yeah, the yeah. brain bug, with, like, like it's weird like, tube coming out of its yeah. like you know that butthole sucks your face. brain. Uh, yeah, that was that was really hard. I mean, Verhoeven <laughs> again. Verhoeven knows when to like. Bring, I'm not gonna lie. When NPH walks up and puts his hand on that thing at the end, I was hoping it was gonna suck him up into the brain hole. And just be like one last death, but no, he was like, mm, 
It feels yeah. fear. It's scared. It. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we filled it full of fear. We, we put like, fear yeah. on it. Like the whole point of fascism is just to like push fear on people until they're just afraid all the time. Right, know? right, right. There you go. Exactly. And like and, and Verhoeven, his, his idea was to sort of downplay the horrors of what he saw because you know his, his message was war makes fascists of us all. Um, uh-huh. I like so that. So everybody, you know, no matter what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, he literally says in that doc uh, that we were talking about, the making of, he says, innocence of youth replaced by the hard edge of war. And that, that conversion into this killing machine. Um, yeah, I thought a lot, 10 years prior, Kubrick's uh, Full Metal Jacket talks about that. And he actually, the very duality of Full Metal Jacket in the beginning, the recruitment mm-hmm. center, and then when he goes to war. And it's almost two movies fused together. And I thought that was such a... I found myself thinking about that a lot. Um, and yeah, in RoboCop, it's like the police state. And, uh, you know, when the police state has all the power. And I, I just watched RoboCop, I think, on the 4th of July for the first time in a couple of years. And I was like watching that now with what's going on now with, with, you know, the riots against the police and, um, you know, a lot of these deaths of minorities we're seeing at the hands of white police officers. And and he really, he really, and and it's like often his movies are just big budget fun, but they have this nucleus of this message and this dark, dark satire of, yeah, like in the very beginning of, um, and the very, like uh, Ryan was saying in RoboCop when the guy gets shot in the nethers by the giant, <laughs> you know, the guy gets blown away by the, it's like, oh, this is a police officer and he's like this giant monster creature and it just accidentally kills the wrong guy, you know, it was like a mess up and it's it's all at the hands of like the bureaucrats in the boardroom and uh, again, it's it's here again in, in, uh, in, in Starship Troopers, you know, with like the the bureaucracy of like the, the brain people on top that, uh you know, Dookie Hauser mm-hmm. goes into, and uh, I keep calling him Dookie Hauser. It's not his name. Oh, well, he's he, he's <laughs> Neil PH, Patrick Harris. Neil Patrick Harris. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, this was the first time I saw Neil Patrick Harris as not Doogie. You know, and he's still <laughs> yeah. a little typecast, right? He's like a teen genius or whatever. Yeah, but right. Well, I'm wondering. So they, they originally cool. had um, James Cameron was uh, was was lined up to direct this, and I'm curious if he would have gone the same route, or if it would have just been. Um, you know, if he would have made the same commentary or if it would have, you know, not That's had that dichotomy that Verhoeven brought up because of his childhood and the, 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 you know, war and fascism things that he dealt with growing up in the Netherlands, uh, during the occupied times. So, uh, yeah. And then, and then, and you know, it was, they had to find their Aryan boy and they were going after like Mark Wahlberg and Matt Damon and all these guys. But, um, Casper Van Dien just looked like the Aryan race. Like you just look at him and you're just like, yeah. oh man, that guy scares the right. shit out of he's me. He's like, like this perfect like Barbie doll looking guy. Mm-hmm. But actually, I think he's he does a... such a great job, and he really, I think he brings a lot of emotion, and um, you know, he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve, you know, about what he wants, and you know, he loves Denise Richards, and that's really there. You can really feel his heartbreak when uh, she like mm-hmm. dumps him over the over the Skype call with everyone <laughs> in the background. You know, watch Skype dumped in space. Yeah, yeah, but then it's, it's, you have a hard time feeling bad for him because he's got, um, you know. They wanted to rewrite that whole thing. <laughs> they, they, the test audiences hated it. That a woman was going to leave a dude for her fucking career. No joke. And like they, yeah. and Verhoeven was like, no, this is like the future in space. It's realistic. Like that's where there's a quality happening here. They cut right. out a scene later on where there was like a, where there was a reunion moment between uh, those, those characters because it, 
you know, because it was it wasn't testing well, but they they mm-hmm. kept the original, the, you know, the, that she that she could be her own woman and choose a career over a man like that. But that was breaking people's brains in the nineties because they were so full of this like force fed toxic masculinity over their whole lives that they're like, you can't have a woman just go off and have a career. No, she gotta stay home. Be yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that element of it, and uh, and then you know you had the the foil there of Dizzy kind of. She says she's not trying to follow Johnny Rico, but, yeah, you know, uh, Dina Meyer, who's wonderful as Dizzy, and I really think she, uh, she kind of steals the show on a lot of times in the movie. She's the more interesting character out yeah, of them, for she sure. she is. And I really, I really like that they're able to kind of get that last moment, and then, oh, man, it's almost tragic when she dies, and she's like, at least I got to have you. I mean, that was like, mm-hmm. oh. Was I, really, I, really felt, uh, I really felt Dizzy's death in this one. It really hurt. This time, this people, people, yeah, people wish it was re- reversed and Dizzy got to live. Um, that, right, that's always been sort of a thing. I remember uh, even discussions we had when we were younger were just like, man, that didn't seem right. Yeah, and maybe because Denise Richards, like, we didn't really. She was sort of like a little bit of a of, 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 of a, a sterile Barbie doll. She was kind of more one dimensional in her acting a lot of the times. And then, you know, I knew her as Christmas Jones or whatever, and then this, and I was like, okay. And then, and then, you know, Charlie Sheen sucked the life out of her, and now she's just a bag of old bones in a corner somewhere. No. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's one of those where you can I'll always see, love Denise. Yeah, I mean, she's great. But uh, you, you can tell that, like, you know, the audience wanted uh, a different outcome. <laughs> yeah, well, I also kind of thought it, like, it played into the kind of, like, the infantry get it the worst. You know, they really are, like, the cannon fodder and... Uh, you know, even in the very beginning, when he when he's when Casper uh, Van Dien's like joining up, joining the ranks, the guy's like, "Oh, I started an infantry," and then you can see he had like the metal hand, and you know, he was like a quadriplegic, and um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's yeah. like, "Do I really want to have no legs forever?" Yeah. Uh, the, what kept really ringing in my ears the entire time throughout this movie, every single time they said "roughnecks," all I could hear was "proud boys," and it and it hurt my stomach. Oh wow a lot like i was just right. like oh man this is just this like well-armed militia of like people fighting you know for what they think that they should but they're all just sort of yeah being told the thing so anyway like uh i i mean that that really um pulled me out of the movie into our current space especially with the debates that happened last night where trump got the opportunity to denounce white supremacy and decided not to and told them to stand by and now i am super freaked out about the authoritarian government that we live underneath um, so at least yeah. we have movies like this to escape into, to go right back into the world we live in. <laughs> yeah. Well, right. no, I, I think, uh, I think, I think we should all watch this movie right now. And, you know, sure. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a piece of fiction and it's a, it's a rebirth of a Heinlein piece of, from the fifties, but it really, I think all that stuff that you're talking about is really, is really nailed. And, um, they really, they really go for it with showing, the kind of fascism and and sure we have that direct enemy now and i found myself kind of like longing for the day of feeling like we had a direct enemy like now we do have the direct enemy of covid as the virus but i really feel like the virus really isn't the enemy as much as the botched handling of it the the bureaucracy bureaucracy. showing itself the disparity in economic and class that we're seeing now Mm -hmm. um you know, this movie has that kind of squeaky clean, like, do it for your country, you know, you can. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, now, yeah, like we're saying, that we're, we're watching it now in a time where I feel like nationalism is at an all-time low. And, I mean, I know I wouldn't want to go fight at some foreign war for this country. Like, I'm afraid to leave my house, you know. I'm, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, so it's, I'm not allowed to leave. It's, I really think this is an important piece, you know. Obviously, it operates as a, a, a big-budget, $105 million 
action sci-fi movie, but it really, really does have all this stuff in this it. This was and it's so important. Million? Yeah, it was a hundred and five million dollar movie. What they make in box office? It said it did one twenty. Oh, so it was like just barely successful, and that's probably why people gave it shit. Yeah, I think uh, it's done well over time now. It's, it's regarded as a cult classic. I think um, a lot of the um, criticism came from people that never saw the damn thing and just saw previews or yeah. clips or something. Because, like, if you really chew it up, it's so much fun, you know? Yeah. It's a, fu- it's a great movie. It, like, it, it, it's it, you get lost, man. And you're just like, yeah. boom, two hours are gone. And you're like, that was entertaining as hell. Thank you so much, Paul Verhoeven. I'm yeah. going to watch Total Recall. It's so entertaining as hell. And you're like, man. And then I, I, as we come out, came out of it just now watching it, I was like, man back into the reality that we're in now and you're like this is what happens when yeah authoritarian it goes too far and uh the brainwashing goes too far um so the brain right. slug actually it's comes like, in and just starts sucking people's brains out the, the brain bug gets you yeah, exactly in a very literal form when it just goes Thunk, i'm gonna fuck your brains out and my, my question is they're really just splutching a lot like these bugs are going around splutching a lot of these soldiers brains everywhere they should they they should really be killing the bodies and then dragging them back for the mama brain to be drinking her brain juice you know like felt like there was a lot of brain wastage and then they were gonna really just milk the brains out of like two of the (laughs) the main characters because we cared about them um you know right (laughs) so so that was always fun for me and and i think it's always i think it's always fun at the very end when they when they cart the damn thing out and look, we got look, we got the brain slug in a thing, and then and then Neil Patrick Harris goes up and he's like, "It feels fair." Yeah, he like also, mi- he like mind melts with he like puts me. his hand up to it like he's mind melting. Yeah. and he's like, "It's afraid." It's like, of course, it's, it's afraid. A- yeah, he's like, "What did you feel? It's heartbeat uh, risen." Um, yeah, but I was I, like, I and I've seen the movie before and I know the outcome, but I like this time I was like. Will it just suck him into its weird butthole brain again? Just, just this once. You, you, you wanted Neil Patrick Harris to get. And then you got too close. I wanted NPH to get, to get eaten in the end. Uh, I really did. I was fighting for it. I think there needs to be a director's cut. Yeah, um, Ryan. I know you're a big uh, Ghostbusters guy. Did you notice the little homage? I'm like, so glad early you brought on that when up, they're right? at school. Neil Patrick Harris is like doing the psychic card thing. Oh yeah. The main character is getting him right, but Neil Patrick Harris is like, "Oh, I'm sorry, you're not smart enough to be yes. a psychic." Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, he's doing the Venkman bit, which from, is like, the, the opening of yeah, Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally, yeah, how we meet Venkman, very first I know. time we yeah. ever meet the character of Peter Venkman in the in the entire universe of Ghostbusters. Um, and 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 you wonder if Verhoeven, uh, if that was the writers or if that was him. Uh, you know, I'm fascinated right. with those kind of things. Uh, I wish I could, if there was a commentary on that. Um, if anyone's got comments on that. That's listening. Please feel free to um, add them because I would love to go back and re- reread those. Um, I'll tell you the effect. It's pissing me off. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Yeah, and, and he's like getting it right. Also, um, there's the point. There's a point where like the, the guy has his hero moment and he's shooting all the bugs, trying to make like a wall of bugs to like save his friends. He's just he's got he's gonna he's toast, but he's like gonna blow them all up. Yeah, and he keeps saying the lines over and over again. He's like, you like that? You like that? Yeah. You want some more? He just keeps going, you like that? You want some more? And the whole time I was like, just kept thinking about Dr. Jack Buckley in an episode of Last Best Hope where he's like, take that, you slimy bug scum. Yeah. And, <laughs> and it just made me laugh so hard. I was like, holy shit, I can't believe Like, you know, even if that was like stuck way deep down in my brain, 
to come out during our writer's process and be inspired by that moment. It was just such a funny juxtaposition of something that happened that I had no idea that I, you know, could have been stealing from. So it was just really beautiful. Anyway, yeah, and uh, to go back to, to Jack show. Buckley, I really thought it was interesting, um, your character, Ryan, um, on the show. At what point did you decide to make him the juxtaposition and the duality of the gunner and the doctor? Because that is, in my so... opinion, so... Obviously, that's never been done before. So it's we like if, to... if Worf and Beverly Crusher had a baby. Yes, uh, exactly. It's, that'd be you. you. Know, it, 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 well, I think what we were doing was it was lack of actors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we were just like, we'll just smash it. But no, it kind of happened organically because the, the doctor fought in the space wars. And um, and we find out that, like, you know, he's seen some shit. But really, it's because it was more of you know he had he was he had to fight and do the medical side of things. So he was like killing people and then saving his friends, and then had to watch his friends die in his arms and so he was. And the doctor yeah. also has another dichotomy that we might introduce at some point. Um, I mean, that, that's the thing about having layer. it did you know it did come from like just to get into the bare bones of it. We knew we wanted five main characters, and when we introduced the robot. We were like, oh, no, we can't have a doctor and a gunner. We can't have a doctor and a head of security. And so one of my ideologies is like, I mean, it's especially useful in comedy. uh, And it also works in drama sometimes. But I think almost always it works in comedy is that when there's a problem, you can make a joke out of it and turn it into, you know, when there's a bug, you can turn that into a feature. And so combining the doctor with the gunner was actually really great because like we knew when we were doing that early on in development that we wanted this scene that we finally got to in this time travel episode where he's interrogating someone and shooting them down and then healing them and we were like we have to figure out a place where where he can do this (laughs) and it was just sort of sitting on the shelf or whatever Uh like in the back of our heads (laughs) you know as we're writing all these episodes like where when is the moment where we can have the have the doctor and the gunner really being both at the same time. Yeah. And, and I think it ended up working out really well. Oh, in it's retrospect, great. maybe they should all have to. <laughs> to yeah, uh, yeah. Now, now we all look back because, you know, uh, Buckley's doing doing two jobs and we're all just doing one. So we look lazy. <laughs> yeah. He does it all over there. Yeah, so to go back to kind of fear and using fear as a weapon, I feel like in a totalitarian state or authoritarian state or in fascism, Mm -hmm. and the word fear popped up a lot, uh, and they said, oh, bugs don't feel fear, right? So they can't be manipulated. Uh, And they literally say that. Right. And there's all the kind of like tactical war game stuff going on about how to manipulate people into action. And um, where where do you guys weigh in on that? Do you, do you think that's what is that what makes fascism fascism at its core is to just to play on fear to keep people in line? Kind of. Um, th- the other thing is we have a whole different origin story for sort of what happens to our bugs, but we haven't really um, given that to the universe yet. That's an episode that we haven't finished yet. But um, yeah, I, I cool. feel like uh, I feel like we can. Um, you know, we, we, we can be the, the origin story where we create our own enemies and things like that sometimes. And, um, uh, you know, especially if they're just going, you know, like th- this seemed like they had, there's, there's no explanation of what's actually happening here. You know, we have no idea that, that, that bug mother might've been feeling fear because she was just trying to save her population, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but so the, bu- the bugs are like kind of fodder for the flames too. Right. Like they'll just jump in and they're all, 
you know, they don't have weapons per se. They just have like the biological weapons within them. And we're the ones that make weapons and they just throw themselves at the problem like the bugs, but they have the sheer numbers. But I guess in terms of like analyzing this as a fascist kind of uh, satire about fascism and how the state can turn into a fascist state by using fear, that really rings true right now. I mean, we've got COVID. And so it's like, like I was yeah. saying earlier, this has like the squeaky clean feeling of like, oh, the old days where we could just, they're bad and we're good. And we, I just don't feel that anymore. Now the enemy is like a virus and the enemy is like ourselves and our president mm-hmm. and our botched handling of things. And Yeah, it's definitely more nuanced now. But the fear question is a really smart one and, you know, a really nefarious one because, you know, you think of fear as like, oh, no. I've, I'm scared for my life or whatever, but how fascism takes hold historically is by creating a um, boogeyman out of the other. So I think here we see it in giant bugs from outer space. And, you know, in the last century, we saw it as the scapegoating of um, Judaism and, you know, we see it now with Trump trying to frame the disease as the China virus. And I mean, right. what's so strange about what's happening now that that we didn't get 100 years ago is now we have the ability to see all this stuff because of our interconnectivity due to the technological revolution. And You'd think that would make it easier, but it turns out it actually makes it even more devastating because we can, like, see this stuff as it's happening and as as the state is trying to demonize an other to make us, you know, rally around being American instead of rallying around being human or being Earthian or trying to fight the coming ecological apocalypse. Like, we're still just... And I think largely effectively using fear to say, hey, these these people are others. They are different than you. They are anti-fascist. They're Chinese. They're this, they're that. And it's incredibly effective, right? Because they think, oh, well, I, you know, I am, I'm sacred. And, th- and those others are... When did anti-fascism and... become a bad thing? You know, like that's the funniest thing. It's like Antifa. <laughs> you're like, wait, no, you know that's a good thing, right? Like, fascism is bad. Yeah, I think we got that backwards somewhere along the line. Yeah, and it's like you know, you guys. It's so funny because I saw some message where it was like, you know, you guys are blindly following this person who, like, literally doesn't care about you and pays less taxes than you, and like you still just love him so much. And like, and he said something. Um, that like was like, and all you Southerners, you are now banned from biscuits. <laughs> you get no biscuits now. Uh, and it was like, you know, everyone's getting. It's just, it's interesting that it turned into uh, that politics turned into sort of sports where everyone decided to, you know, um, sit there and 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 shout for a team instead of like turning it into what it should have been, which is just like advancing humanity <laughs> to the next level. Um, and it's unfortunate that we that we but yeah we've uh, we've gotten ourselves into a little bit of a pickle here. Hopefully we can get the fuck out. Well, guys, Eesh. super well said uh, from both of you. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really feel like yeah, I, we went for this movie for kind of its parallel with Last Best Hope and kind of the you know a fun sci-fi romp. But <laughs> I really feel like this movie is is a lot more important, and its message is especially now. 
you know, it's. Yeah. I honestly, I'm like, go watch Starship Troopers if you've seen it. If you've seen <laughs> it, watch it again. If you haven't seen it, watch it for the first time. Because I'm gonna watch it again after we sign off, and then I'm gonna watch Total Recall because I'm gonna just. I need some Verhoeven <laughs> in my life today. Yeah, yeah, I know. This is this is the first Verhoeven on my show, and um, yeah, the, won't won't be will not be the last by any stretch because I feel like he he's really the master of this in a lot of ways because. It's this kind of, Michael Crichton said it like, oh, I want to have a, a lesson, but put it in like a sugar pill. So you eat the sugar pill, but then really inside the yes. sugar pill is a, is, a, is a good nougat of That's of, Last Best of, Hope of does lesson. that a lot. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. And, and yeah. using um, science fiction, uh, you know, uh, as, as that kind of lens where you can talk about something directly without it being hitting it on the, hitting it on the nose and, and being like insulting mm-hmm. the, because sometimes the audience might not be ready because... When you're like you're saying, you're so entrenched in the the politic of now, it can be a little hard. Uh, Nicholas Meyer said it actually, the writer director of uh, Star Trek uh, two and six, and he also wrote four. In my opinion, saved saved Trek. Um, Nicholas Meyer right. said, and you know, when they did Star Trek six, which is one of my favorite ones, and they talk about Chernobyl with Praxis blowing up, which is the Klingon homeworld, or the Klingon power world moon that blows up, and then the Klingons need to really make peace with the federations and all this animosity has to kind of be put to bed because of the necess- the necessity of the two nations working together again, the two species. But uh, I was watching an interview with him on Star Trek six on the making of Star Trek six. And he's like, yeah, I mean, you can use sci-fi and talk about something right now and do it. And people aren't going to be like, Oh, that's too on the nose. And you can actually really say a lot of really good things and be critical in a time where it's super sensitive and it's really kind of hard to be super critical of things and, and do it in a way that you're like, oh, I get it now. I see it. When you're able to step out of yourself and now you're in the future and now you're on a different planet, you're on a spaceship or whatever, you can really, really do those allegories justice about now. You know, So I really think you guys using sci-fi, obviously you're big sci-fi fans and you know the love, the love <laughs> is definitely there and it, it shows in your work. Uh, absolutely. But, you know, the parallel with Starship Troopers and watching this movie right now, I honestly think was the perfect movie to watch instead of watching the debate, which I knew would be like, <laughs> like Grassy said, uh, political Olympics or political sports or whatever phrase you just used really well. Yeah, I mean, I really enjoyed that sci-fi can be socially critical and really biting with and and allow people to hear that message in the in the sugar pill or whatever with the hidden agenda and even in our little comedy show we do do that a little bit i think you get extra points if you can identify the the moral of the story at the end of each episode which you know we worked hard on actually putting in there i mean there is some substance um to this stuff at the end sometimes we say it out loud and sometimes we don't (laughs) what did um, we learn this week sci-fi is really good at that (laughs) (laughs) oh it's so good um and um i mean honestly i think the reason that this movie um does a good job holding up even though we're dealing with the fascism issue right now is probably because we're dealing with the fashion fascism issue right now Mm -hmm. no uh it's because um you uh, verhoeven you know he loved this movie. He loved making this movie. He wanted to have it stand, like hold up throughout time. So that's why he fought really hard for practical effects. They built lots of models. They did all the real things. You know, they, they tried to keep as you know little CGI as they could, but they had to do it for like the giant bug scenes. But uh, I just think it's great because it's his favorite of his movies. You know, and you can kind of tell. 
It's so fun. Um, it's so much fun. Yeah, you can tell that he had a lot of fun with it. You know? Yeah, it's uh, and he's such a character. Watching that making up thing, he's he's like running around. And he's he's such a kid in a candy store. I just want to like hang out with him. I want to like go and like have a weekend with him and just like go to the zoo or whatever. Go to a baseball yeah, game. Yeah, did you say you guys want to go to the zoo with him? Yeah, Werner Herzog. Oh yeah, yeah. Nick said, "Oh, Werner Herzog and uh, Paul Verhoeven together would be a great weekend." I mean, that would be fantastic, right? Andy, you could voice that, man. You could do the I voice. We should, we should get some POV footage of just someone walking around a zoo that has like you know that's free and just have you voice over it like you're. <laughs> like your Fairhoven and and, uh, and um, yeah, they're both like they both have the Austrian like German um, <laughs> voice, I mean, the Herzog, European. You were doing those Herzog videos when you were just like walking around a Rite Aid, like being like, "I am Werner Herzog, and <laughs> I am here in the medical section because I." need things to help me poop because I can't stand my own excellence or whatever. You, It was the funniest shit. Andy yeah, yeah, I had this video. whole thing where as if, as if he was this, like, megalomaniacal, like, asshole, but he's he's really the sweetest guy, and I'm a big fan of him. <laughs> and he was he was back in the public consciousness mostly because uh, he was in The Mandalorian Season 1. Yeah. Uh, and he plays right. a real... I would like to see the baby. Yeah, he Which plays a real heavy, nasty guy. Effects, and they tried to go CGI, and, 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 and it was Herzog that said... Do not yes. use CGI. Keep it a puppet. On you Baby cowards. Yoda. He yeah, called yeah. the crew cowards. He's like, don't be a coward. <laughs> if Werner Herzog called me a coward, I would do whatever he asked me to do that made him feel like I was a coward. I'd be like, I will Brilliant. fix anything. Yeah. That's the fear. Yeah. <laughs> That's the fear. That's the fear. He, yeah, oh my God. We're back to circle. No, but he was right. I mean, he was like, don't. Yeah, he's like, people love the puppet Yoda. Like, why, why would you go against, you know, don't be afraid to use a puppet. And, uh, and yeah, yeah, I mean, there was some great blending of CG in, in Starship Troopers, but so many good practical moments. Like, you would see a CG bug, but then they would shoot it, and then they would get close, and you would see its carcass opened up, bleeding, uh-huh. and then it would be a real practical bug, right. like carcass. And then, yeah, the blood really was, I mean, how many great shots of just tight, tight on a, tight on a character, <laughs> off-camera shoot, blood splat. <laughs> all over the face. It was like you said, it was like Nickelodeon uh, guts or whatever, or Nickelodeon, uh, you can't do this on television or whatever, or I would just come out and just drench. It was co- the viscosity and the color was exactly the same. Like they just went to the Does store, it taste good? got a bunch of. Is it tapioca or they something? They got like retrovirgin oh, ooze, like the, 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 like the TMNT ooze, or like the actual slime. They remember there was little slime in trash cans, it was one of the originals from like the 70s, was the original slime. It's like chucked it at people's faces in that movie. It was great. Yeah. I think it's tapioca and water and uh, food dye. Really? The viscosity looked like mm-hmm. that slime. It was so good. Uh, but tapioca, yeah, great. food, uh, wait, what was it? Tapioca? Um... Yeah, and then you dilute it down, put a little oh, food dye Oh, that it. was the stuff on actual Nickelodeon. Uh, I think the stuff they used on Starship Troopers looked like the viscosity and color of, like, that they went to the store and bought slime from the toy store. Yeah. Uh, no joke. It just <laughs> it did. It really like, did. That's so good, man. And I, I bet it was. You know, I bet they didn't try to. Or the... the Prop person probably knew how to make their own slime that just mimics that. But uh, yeah, the, the Nickelodeon slime had to be edible because they were dropping it on kids' heads, so they had to have tapioca and, and right. food tapioca. And stuff. Yeah, right. There yeah. it is. You guys know your stuff, man. That's cool. I mean, yeah, it really translates <laughs> the physical. Um, I actually have a, a little story. I got to work with Patrick Muldoon, who plays the other pilot. Uh, cool. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, he plays Xander Barkalo. Who uh, you know is the nice rivalry, the nice rival to Casper Van Dien, uh, and uh, I got to work. It was, I think, it was about 2013 or so when you guys were probably just having the inception for uh, Last Best Hope. I was, um, 
I was just like PAing and doing crafty on some low budget movies here in LA. And he was in the movie. It was a Christmas movie called like Home Hallmark. Fun. Yeah, it was like a Hallmark thing. <laughs> and I literally was like, oh my God, I love Starship Troopers so much. And he was like, oh yeah, isn't that, that one's such a fun one, isn't it? And the guy was so fun. And he would always be like belting out like uh, alt rock, like Alice in Chains and Creed and stuff. And then I was like, dude, I'm just going to go for it. And I was just like, one of those bands is good. We started singing Man in the Box together on set. <laughs> and he would be like, and then I would chime in. I'm like, and literally became a thing. And every time he saw me, he's like, Man in the Box, baby. And uh, he was such a fun guy and he really just kind of wore his heart on his sleeve and just like wasn't afraid to like be his kooky old self on set anyway every time i watch starship troopers now i'm like i always think about us singing man in the box on uh on set of this hallmark movie (laughs) oh man and on my very first movie in new mexico i just came out of uh university of miami in 2006 i was working on a western called comanche moon with val kilmer and it's a prequel to lonesome dove uh carl urban's in it uh uh yeah Anyway, uh, Jake Busey worked on a couple days, and it was I think it was my first or second day out there, like fresh off the boat, like I just came out of college, and I talked to Jake <laughs> Busey, and that was right when his dad had his own show, it was I'm with Busey, um, mm-hmm. and I was like, I love your dad's show, what a character, he's like, yeah, dad's crazy, huh? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, man, he's, he's so funny, but Starship Troopers, man, I love that movie so much, and then he literally lit up like a tree, and he was just like, that's the best thing I've done. Well, it is the best thing. It's the done. best movie. Oh, yeah. that it's I, the best. Or no, he was like, that's done. the best movie it's that great. I uh, that I've been part of. I mean, it was. He's such in a, the Frighteners. Um, I love the Frighteners. PCU. Love the Frighteners. Uh, great films. Contact. The best thing that he's done was 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 Starship Troopers. Oh, Contact. Yeah, the bad guy. Yeah, the bad guy. Contact. Contact. The religious. Was just, that was the zealot. same year, ninety-seven. So good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bob Zemeckis. Do you see? Has that thing where he like smiles, but it's also his frown. It's his skin. You see his teeth when he's yeah. like. Yeah. He you know, said he's frighteners. Like, hey, he has that look. Yeah. He's like, hey. It's that Christian Slater, Jack Nicholson type <laughs> deal. Um, From The Shining. Yeah, man. Like, hey, man. Yeah. I'm Christian Slater. This the Nick 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 Chandler does that all the time, where he's like, it's me, Christian Slater. <laughs> <laughs> he just does his version of Jack. He really Nicholson made a whole career a out of pretending to be Jack Nicholson. Yeah, <laughs> I know he really did. I just rewatched True Romance. That movie's so fun. Oh, he's great. But he's, he's great in him. But yeah, the Jake Ducey part in this movie is so fun uh, as the kind of like lovable sidekick. And, you know, that moment where he's like really down, he turns to Casper uh, Van Dien. He's like, he just got dumped by Denise Richards. And he was like, hey, uh, at least you still got me to kick around, you know? It's like, oh. So he really, I really felt mm-hmm. the, the camaraderie. I really, I, I felt all that anti-fascist stuff, but simultaneously felt this like camaraderie of this, this ensemble. And it's kind of lovable, and I found myself right. really rooting for everybody, even though I kind of saw some of their blunders and how easily brainwashed they were by their own state and all that. But I still loved them all, mm-hmm. you know. So I have to nailing that duality because it really it didn't. I'm hearing a doorbell. Is that me? That's me. That's what, that's on my side. There's oh my god! Is that, is that your instruments? Okay. I don't know. Should I go check it? Is that your xylophone? Um, yeah, I mean, go check it. I saw it. this movie in the theater this when I was like 14, and my friends like wanted to join the military afterwards. Let me go see who's at the door. I'll be right back. All right, you got it. We could turn this into a feature, you know. Who's Dude, at this the is door? Like a real, um, at Grassy's who's place. at the door? No, it's so funny. It was coming through the headphones, <laughs> and I'm like, is that my door? <laughs> um, so funny. 
It's really like the neighborhood. What is that old show, the kids show, and he puts on the sweater? Oh, oh, oh Mr. Um, Rogers. Yeah, it could be like a Mr. Rogers segment. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Who is it? Oh man, Ryan, who is it? We got live uh, maintenance um, checking in on our. Get him on the podcast. The maintenance guy. In the, does on he the want to be on my show? <laughs> I think he is. You can probably hear him in the background. Does he while like? I'm talking does he like Starship Troopers? The movie. Uh, <laughs> I feel like. Yeah, ask I feel him like if he's seen I feel it. like he's never seen that, and probably not a lot of other movies that we talk about. But it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Seems like a nice gentleman. Anywho, this could be a. That's um, hilarious. Yeah. So. um... Yeah, well, I was just saying to Nick how um, it really had the duality of being like it's not a it's not like a negative movie. You still like love the gang, and I felt like Jake Busey really brought it. And that moment where he's like, oh, "You still got me to kick around." After Denise Richards rips his heart out, um, I really just felt the love of the gang, and like when they got the tattoos, and even even Michael Ironside, who's usually the you know known for being like the heavy, he's he's often the heavy, but he's really <laughs> like he's this patriotic figure. He kind of dies. Where, you know, Casper Van Dien has to shoot him and um, as he's getting sucked into the earth. And I really felt yeah, for him, you know. So put him down like old the movie, the movie managed to really humanize and give this fun quality to the whole thing. Because um, it wasn't just, like, guys sitting around and being all, like, rooting and this dark commentary about war or anything. Like, it plays out in a very fun way. And I I just I couldn't help but love love everybody. Did you guys love Casper Van Dien? Did you root for him? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, okay. Wait, who, which one's Casper Oh, he's the lead. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah. yeah. Johnny I mean, Rico. Sure, definitely. And we got to lead. I mean, they do time really well, right? We It's like five years or whatever in two hours. And we get to see him argue with his dad and become his own man. And yeah, I mean, I liked him to the extent that I could, knowing that he was a... Nazi, <laughs> <laughs> a brainwashed Nazi, but yeah, they do the duality really well for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, I want to give nod to Bill Tip and the special effects artist. We were talking about the special effects. Uh, I mean, he really, they really apparently they did a lot of stuff where they would like use lighting, um, and they would like layer lights into things like how light interacts with objects. So even if it's a CG object, they would have layers of light interacting with the CG, and that gives it that depth and. Like uh, you were saying earlier, right. Nick, with some of the dust and uh, giving it that layering. And, um, you know, I was watching this with uh, my good buddy Brian Stratt last night, my neighbor. We watch movies together at night. We've been quarantining together. And he, uh, he basically was like, yeah, I feel like this in Jurassic Park aged, you know, CG-wise way better than most other things in its time. And I think it had a lot to do with not yeah. showing it all the time and blending it with practical, but also when you're going to do it, add those layering effects of light and dust and... Um, it aged, I, could, I couldn't get over how well it is aged. I know I said it before in the beginning, but... It has aged really well. And I wonder, you know, how Avengers Endgame or whatever will age. Because even if you go yeah. back and watch some of those Marvel movies, which are really a treat, it, they don't age well. And so I think we'll see <laughs> a, another renaissance or return to more practical stuff and do a nice mix. Yeah. Like, um, Rogue One's doing a nice mix. Yeah, I think we're, I think I think we're starting we'll see to see... I think we're starting to see more, future. yeah. I think we're definitely starting to see more of the yeah. blend. So this and this movie also up until up until it was beaten out by other movies, I think it was one that had used the most like stage blood in a movie, the most ammunition ever used in a movie yeah. until like other oh, movies wow. sort of beat it out. But like up until like Verhoeven was trying to make something very very it was trying to make a statement, but he did 
you know, the fact that he went so practical with a lot of stuff, he he knew immediately, and he wanted it to be able to stand up so that we could, 23 years later, talk about it the way we are. So Yeah, and actually, that's a really important... successful, um, bro. That's a really important point you said about using the live ammo and how much live you know, actual ammo and, like, bullets. Um, I'm really glad you brought that up because we were talking about how they have warp. They literally have warp. They use the word warp. They can... <laughs> they they can travel yeah. massive distances, but then they're still using like machine guns. Uh, but I thought that they're played really like well into bullets. giving it the modern, the modern look and vernacular of the modern marine. You know, using guns, and right. also it's like, why don't they have like lasers and us and like they have some like bazookas and stuff, but they basically have what we have now more or less, and even in '97, what we have now with like your militia and your infantry. But and I really felt that was a a choice to give it that kind of like you are just cannon fodder like you're just given a machine gun you're thrown out there and that's it and it's more that everybody has a gun and they all have to kind of swarm around one bug at a time and really pick them off you know it, may, it makes you feel like you know this would make an amazing video game which they made one which was okay but really there was another one that was called earth defense force do you guys remember this from playstation 2 no. Earth Defense Force. It was like over the top, amazing killing bugs. They were actually giant ants, if I remember correctly. They were ants. They weren't. Uh, they weren't like you know um, arachnids, but they, they, you know, they, they never really hit the money with like making this into a solid video game franchise, which I thought was always something that they should have done. Yeah. There was another one called like a- Amarines or something that was on sixty four that I kind of remember, but apparently this year which is, we don't have a lot of it left, they're dropping a uh, brand new Starship Troopers game on Steam. So Is I'm that right? See that. Get out of here. Yeah. Yeah. And it, well, it's coming 2020, and we've only got three months left. So uh, <laughs> Any day now. They're going to push wild. it. Like That's every, wild. You know. Yeah, and um, I really felt there's a... You, have you guys read Ender's Game or any of that series? Um, they, made a movie, sure. they made a movie out of the first book. But um, yeah, they're at war with the buggers. And it's mm-hmm. it's a bug insectoid like hive mind race, um, and uh, I don't know if that was a nod to the original Heinlein novel Starship Troopers or, I mean, bugs are just kind of great. They, it's something that we yeah. kind of know. Yeah, you know, we have bugs here, but now they're smart and they're giant. It's like the most alien thing we have here are either yeah. octopi or bugs. Right, and I mm-hmm. think so. They're just so alien. Lobsters that are like, yeah. this is what aliens are like. Oh man, the uh, the propaganda video with like the little girls squishing the cockroaches, and they're like, kill them, kill them. <laughs> yes, I, I was I was like, so man, much. they're all sadistic. Like those those bugs didn't do anything. To you. They did not get their humane society sticker at the end scroll of the credits. <laughs> yeah, right. You were waiting for it. Yeah, he's. I, I love his commitment to gore in his movies um, and practical and specifically practical gore. It's, uh, you know, I remember seeing Total Recall as a kid and it scared the living crap out of me and Robocop. Um, <laughs> this one, I think I was a little older, so I, I didn't feel it. But uh, yeah, he really brings it. He really brings it. Um, and I just love that dedication because it that just Eastern gives it that European visceral slime. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. We're going to have to, yeah, I, this won't be the last Verhoeven piece on the show for sure. Um, I'll probably end up doing Robocop and Total Recall. Like th- These three I consider his best. Although I, I forgot he did Basic Instinct, and that movie really is a taut, dark, awesome thriller. It's a great film. Great performances. So And Showgirls. I've never uh, seen it. Never seen it. 
Uh, no, it's it's great. It's just like a grittier version of becoming a stripper, and it seems like it probably inspired a lot of people to follow that career path, so I give him props, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, his first feature was in 71, um, called Diary of a Hooker. It's a comedy. <laughs> okay. uh, in Amsterdam, two prostitutes make a choice between love and work. So he really likes to dive into, like... That was Showgirls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like that was kind of proto Showgirls, like twenty five years prior. This guy's been this guy's been working since the sixties. Uh, he was working I in TV on a TV series called Floris. Uh, he did some shorts in the sixties, and then yeah, his first feature was in seventy one, and then did a movie about every couple of years for <laughs> up until really two thousand. Um, but yeah, what a career! This guy's. Uh, Legendary man. He's he's the man. Well, let's all get a trip to the zoo with him and Herzog together going someday. And uh, <laughs> this was a this yeah. was a damn delight hanging out with uh, two of my favorite people in the world and co-stars Last Best Hope and two of my best friends. Man, this has been nice. Yeah, this let's has been this, so great. Let's just I do this again, like man. off mic for for every day. Let's just watch a movie together every day. Do we we don't have that to would be ideal. It. Yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. Andyplex is showing. What are you showing tonight at the Andyplex? Um, I think well, so. We're on Tom Holland, the director. We just did Fright Night. Uh, we're gonna do, I think, Child's Play one. Nice. Oh sure. So, Rolling yeah, into October the... here. Yeah, we got one more day of Spooktember, and then we kick off <laughs> October. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm all about the Halloween movies and going even harder than usual. <laughs> it's been it's been really nice. So um, uh, yeah, so Grassy inhaled the list uh, of September while you were gone. I think in um, like three days you watched like twenty movies or something crazy. That's pretty standard for me. Uh, <laughs> whatever whatever keeps me distracted from the noise of um, the world. Yeah, but I actually I, I saw guys. an this article. Um, I saw an article about people that watch horror specifically now are actually having a, a an easier time dealing with the pandemic and dealing with the state of things. Something about yeah, constantly bombarding your vision with just awful images, and then it's like, <laughs> and also that's like, not kind of as... analyzing <laughs> analyzing what makes something scary and analyzing what makes something you know you're kind of getting into the meta ness of, of, of things. Even like we were with today with propaganda and or it's just desensitizing be, us into little sociopaths. Who knows? You know, like, you got to be critical. I'm... You got to be critical. And these movies, they're lessons. You know, like you said, like Crichton said, For the sure. sugar pill with the lesson in it. Like the more we kind of understand the enemy, in the case the enemy is fear, or the enemy is whatever's trying to manipulate you. Um, Fear is the Mind Killer, Dune. Got a Dune movie coming down the pike. Excited. All right. Well, Ryan, it was good to have you. Nick, good to have you. Thanks for doing the show. What a treat. Please, everyone, go out. Check out Last Best Hope, the space comedy podcast radio play. It's incredible. Check me out as Ship's Computer, (laughs) D-O-U-G, (laughs) Doug. And uh, great show, guys. Love you both. Miss you so much. Uh. Until soon, my friend. Goodbye. Farewell. Thanks for having me.